everyone. Welcome to another episode of Breaking Down the Silo. This is a Mangum Talks podcast committed to breaking down each and every episode of the Apple Plus TV series Silo. I am your host, Lee. I'm here. I'm joined by my co-host, Mr. Spencer. How are you? I am here, as always, sir, to discuss the truth. The truth of this episode, the truth that was behind the silo, the truth that is before us. Episode four, truth. Spencer and I... Uh, a lot of high tension. We were thinking we might not be able to broker a deal to open up the Mangum Talks <laughs> podcast. We did, however, broker a deal between our two separate chambers of governance on the podcast channel. We were able to open up the podcast. The podcast stays mm-hmm. open during this very difficult period for all of us. We will continue pushing forward. Hey, uh, obviously making a shutdown joke there, but real, n- bit, yes. re- real news for us. Looks like they got a deal in the writer's strike. So um, they did one down, one to go in order to get new TV content. That's exciting. Now, do you think this will expedite the resolution of the actor's strike too? Because I'm inclined to think it will. Well, you know, you got to think that like a number of the issues that they seemed to be striking about both sides, there was overlap, right? There were there were there were similar issues, and so they, if they were able to find some middle ground with the studios on some of those issues on the writer's side, then maybe they can they can mirror those those deals mirror those tactics on the actor's side i sure hope so it's like you know when i can play quote i'm putting complain in quotes complain about the writers and actor strike it's not that i don't support the people who are pushing for trying to get a living wage and get um, a fair deal for themselves i fully support that i just like new television content i like their work i like their product that they put out so like i i don't like any situation where i can't get it i'm very happy that we seem to have 50% of that equation in place now. Now, you've got a better memory than I do. I'm curious. The, the writer's strike went on for, what, nearly five months? And it's not technically over yet, really. Correct, yes. How much of a delay and disruption is that going to be on established shows? About five months. It, 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 it roughly equal, equal length or equal effect go, going backwards towards it? Yeah, I mean, I, it, sure. I mean, I think it depends on when the actors come back, right? But, like, um, in the past... It's been basically a red light, green light situation. Like everything shuts okay. down and then you would reach a point where there's this lagging period. Uh, I think the last writer strike was in 08. There's this lagging period of about eight to 10 to 12 months of pumping out all the stuff that was in post. And then you have this period where it's like, okay, that's the, that's the, ti- the same time frame that they struck, but then there's this lagging period of startup where they're in production again, but stuff hasn't necessarily hit. So, you know, let's say tomorrow we get a resolution on the actor strike. I still think that early next year, probably in the February, March timeframe, we'll have a dead period until late summer, something like that, where they're, they're starting back up again. Uh, but in the interim, we'll be covering an awful lot of stuff here. One of the shows that we're covering right now is wheel of time over on the, as the wheel of time, mm-hmm podcast feed it's called as the wheel of time turns podcast feed that's myself my wife another uh bj and his wife also do it uh bj of mangum reads fame a lot of fun to do that podcast i gotta tell you spencer you're not a wheel of time guy you know a big robert jordan guy i'm not season two wheel of time worth your time season one wheel of time is a get through i know how you feel about get throughs so feel free to just ignore it just feel free not to even watch it but if you get to season two, season two is very much worth your time. So is, is, it, is it reaching the categories of like first season of Parks and Rec or first two seasons of Star Trek The Next Generation at the at the other end of things of where it's just like, it's not worth your time. Just read a Wikipedia summary and skip it. I would, I, I would compare I, I, it to the first season of The Office in that. 
Interesting. In that, like the first season of The Office, still very much resembled the show. It just was. It looked like it was done cheaper. Mm-hmm. It looked like it was done fast, and there were some systemic problems that ran through the entire season. Same sort of deal in Wheel of Time season one. There were some systemic issues that ran through it. It looked like it was done cheap. It was looked like it was done fast. That's because of COVID. It's not because of something Amazon did wrong, right? They were filming mm-hmm. in the, right in the middle of COVID. But now, apparently, coffers have opened up. The world's opened up, and they they are free to actually tell that story. And season two is a lot better. So I'm I'm really enjoying reviewing that over on as the Wheel of Time turns. So if you have any interest in following the Wheel of Time television show over on Amazon, go check that podcast out. We have a good time with it. But Spencer, that's not what we're here to talk about. We're not here to talk about the shutdown. We're not here to talk about the actors' writers' strike. Hell, we're not even here to talk about Wheel of Time. You know what we're right here to do is to descend into the silo, Spencer. You want to descend into the silo with me? And discuss the truth, my friend. Let's do it. Episode four, truth. So we start with a previously on, a lot of mayor, a lot of mayor in the previously on, which you, know, you might you might expect that to make sense, right? Between the mayor and between the flashbacks we get of this, it's very much a in remembrance of for the character throughout this entire episode. Yeah, we get the mayor talking to Juliet's father. Sergio Ramor, my Bear Island, stand up. When did you last hear her? It's been a while. Whose, whose accent was better this episode? I gotta say. He's working on it, right? He's work. He's picking it up. Holston wanted you to have this. It's kind of like me on the podcast when I pick an accent up. You know, I'm usually better in episode two or three when I'm trying it. You're better in episode two and three, then you suck for episodes four, five, and six, and then you find it again later. Yeah, yeah. Holston <laughs> wanted you to have this. Maybe I'll find an accent I can do this episode, or this episode, or this show. We'll see. Holston wanted you to have this, whether or not you took the job. We got that quote. Juliet and Holston arguing. I'll send word, a signal. I promise. This is from Holston to Juliet. Truth on the badge. Looks like it's been sort of carved in by someone. I'll take the mm-hmm. badge on one condition, fixing the generator, that whole tense scene with the generator. Uh, I know you think appointing, this is the mayor talking, I know you think appointing Nichols is a mistake, but something about her makes me hopeful. And that is the last line of dialogue we get in the previously on, but we do get a shot of the mayor being poisoned. So that's the previously mm-hmm. on this episode. Uh, poisoned, my friend. Uh, poisoned is a bit of an assumption, we must say. We don't exactly know her cause of death. No coroner has stepped in to be certain at this point. Yeah, and I think with this show, like if you want to take that tack, then you'll never know. Because they don't, yeah. they don't have like medical facilities such that they can actually tell you for sure. So you're. I think they're, they're as much as you're not going to want to do it with this show in particular, because you seem to trust absolutely nothing you see. There is a little Assumption bit of leap required. of faith. There's a little bit of leap of faith required and stuff like that, because you're never you're never going to hear like, oh, well, they did the they did the autopsy and it, they found blah. Like you're not going to get that. They just basically incinerator. Yeah. You take what demonstrative evidence you have and run with it. Build your own hypothesis and make it into a theory. We start with Juliet and her parents working with a sick child. So we're getting this episode. We're getting flashbacks of Juliet. Uh, as a child and i think the flashback scene juliet's what about 12 because i think they said she went down when she was 13 yeah she certainly is 13 at the one point we have her age identified so yeah that is at some point in the past hard to tell exactly but happening before the seemingly death of her mother and her brother i want to put her in the script as juliet parentheses 12-13 there we go and we've we have both mocked and credited child actors in the various podcast you have mocked the child actors in the past i have diligently <laughs> called out poor performances that i'm sure they'll improve on later so mean however i'm gonna give some props to this to, to this actress i don't know i don't know her name we never we never do but i'll, I'll look i'll look it up right now i keep talking she does a good job of replicating the mannerisms of who she's meant to be the younger version of 
And I think she I think she deserves some credit for that. Of where it is believable that this is writ small, writ young, Juliet Rebecca Ferguson here in a few years. See, like maybe you know, fifteen years later or whatever else. Uh, uh so you, you, it, you went you went real fast, and I did not yeah, have that, time I mean, to figure it, that it's, out. It's it's not always the case. We, we previously credited little Leia Organa on Obi Wan is doing quite well with respect to it, but it can it can be a difficult thing to do to not only basically do your role, but carefully analyze someone else's role so that you can work off them in terms of your own portrayal. How about so. this? Her name is Amelie Villers, but guess what their middle name is? Yep, tell me. Child. Amelie Child <laughs> Villers, and she plays Man. the child Juliet. Yeah, Amelie Child. God, Villers. that 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 is pigeonholing your kid at too young an age. It's like I know what your role is going to be. It's going to be child actor. Yeah, that's her though. Yeah, I agree with you. I think she did a great job. And there's a little nuance in the performance, right? Especially in the later mm-hmm. scenes in the episode. I think she did a, she did a good job. Um, she also works well off her dad, off you know, Jor Marmont, Ian Glenn, the two of them. I wasn't sold on them individually in the last episode in terms of what the relationship was or even talking about their relationship. But in the scenes that we're seeing them here together, I thought they were quite well executed in some of the more uh, powerful emotional scenes we've seen on the show yet. Yeah, and they de-aged Ian Glenn here. Can I say something about de-aging? It's everywhere, so please tell me. I have had enough of the opinion... Oh, they de-aged so-and-so, and it looked weird. It's like, you know what would look weirder? Is if they got mm-hmm. a completely different actor to do young so-and-so, and you had to piece that together. Because that's how it was 50 years ago. How about this? Yeah, it, you know why it looks a little weird? Because Ian Glenn is 60 years old. Like, that's yeah. why it looks a little weird. Like, how about you suspend disbelief just a fucking fraction when they have technology that can literally de-age a human being? Like I'm, 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 I'm sort of frustrated. That, like people have drawn this line in the sand. That like this is the thing that's going to bother them, not the boogies and boogies of fucking special effects and the green screen stuff everywhere that we get and mm-hmm. like, the integration of animation now into a lot of these shows. No, it's the fact that Ian Glenn looked thirty years younger that weirds people out. Come on, man. I honestly didn't think it was that bad. We've distinctly seen worse than this previously. Like you know, as much as we celebrated Luke returning in season two of Mandalorian. That was a definite step down compared to this. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I th- first off, I think it looks good. But, like, I just hear this opinion. Every time I see de-aging, I always see people going, oh, they de-aged him and that looks weird. Why do they have to do that? Well, they have to do that because in order to do the flashback, they either do that or they have 60-year-old Ian Glenn, which is even weirder, or they complete, they recast the individual and have a different actor. And then we're all trying to piece together who the hell it is in the flashback, which has been difficult for me historically when they do that route. So, like, I prefer the de-aging. As long as they can do it at this quality or better, I will never complain about it. Effectively, they've got four options. De-aging, the new rage. I agree it's a little bit overdone. There's sometimes like if it's a complete film of where it's that actor that age, I'd almost prefer if they just cast a different actor. I would agree with that. Flashbacks like this. Unless it's like a prequel movie and there's like three or four other movies. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, unless there's a reason for that person to be in that role. But if it's just like a standalone movie and they're just de-aging them just... Because they wanted Al Pacino at forty, yeah. Let's re- yeah. let's let's have a different actor cast. That's getting a little. That's getting a little bit too far. What, what was that film with um, Robert De Niro that they uh, the Irishman? The, they, yeah. he was de-aged the entire film. It's like it's a little much. Ah, I agree. Pushing it. It's a little much. Yeah. How about like, we do yeah. do a good fellas cast somebody younger for the younger part of the role and then just you know age you know, make them make them look older from there. Where was Matt Damon? Was Matt Damon busy for that? Come on. <laughs> Clearly. So option one, de-aging. Option two, makeup. 
Like, just make them up to look younger, and that never looks great. That looks, you make up that looks look, worse than de-aging, right? You you make somebody look older a lot better than you can make them look younger to that degree. Fair point. Option number three, different actor. It, as said, I like it for other entirely separate films. Within, like, a TV show for, like, a one-off little thing, it, doesn't, it can be a little bit disruptive. Option number four, I've seen some sort of shows do this, do a Peanuts, and the guy's never on camera. You just hear his voice from, like, another room kind of thing, mm-hmm. and he's never directly appearing. That can work, unless it's like they have way too many scenes, in which case it's really obvious that you're trying to hide that fact. So, with those options, de-aging so long as it's done conservatively for a limited role like this, I don't mind, and I didn't think this was that too disruptive. We're on the same page there. Juliet is, um, <clears throat> or the young boy is getting oxygen, and uh, Juliet's kind of watching. Did he fall in a well? Is he is he suffering from is some you know repeat chronic condition? What what happened to this kid? You tell me. I, we're watching the same thing. I don't know. They haven't told us yet, he, have they? He's blue, so he's either, he, he either was drowning or he, something caused him to be deprived of oxygen. Could have Whether asthma, is, right? Asthma is an could, option. Could be asthma of any variety. Could be some obstructive condition. Could again tie into Juliet's fear of water. Don't know. So when I was a kid. Um, I had a couple of friends with asthma, you know, and like yeah. they would during PE or something, they would like, if they got short of breath, it was like a big panic in this school. Cause like, I, I, I don't know if I've mentioned this to you before, but I lived in a very rural area growing up and, yes. uh, <laughs> we were like a ways from a hospital. How, right. So I was about to ask how far, uh, I mean a good 30 miles from, uh, even like, and it was like a, you know, a very regional hospital, right. With it, it, not, not great facilities there. That, that is a concerning distance in the event of a medical emergency. Right, especially a kid can't breathe, right? So whenever one of yeah. these kids would get, like, short of breath, it would be, like, a big panic, and all the teachers would come over, and they'd have the inhaler and whatever. So um, I noticed how much attention those kids were getting. Oh, uh, what the fuck did you do? Oh, I started pretending like I had asthma for, like, three years. <laughs> you and I was like, son of a bitch. I was like, well, you're, well, first off, I was, like, six. So you're calling six-year-old yes. me a son of a bitch. But, yes, I, at a very young age, I was, like, uh, I, I decided I needed the same attention that they did until, like, I got older. And I'm sure somebody, like, hit me in the head and was like, stop being an asshole. But, like, yeah, I did that for sure. Hey, as we just discussed, I have a documented history of calling kids incompetent or selfish assholes. I'm just applying that to you. That's true. Yeah, that's a, that is completely uh, consistent for you. Yeah, that, there you go. So I, I don't know. Could be, could be that. We're not sure what it is. So the heart rate does get steadied. What's your name? He comes to. He can name everybody, including his sister Juliet, who he calls Jerkface. Um, that was cute. Cut to the current times, and someone comes up to Juliet, modern Juliet. Thank the founders. There's been an accident. So. She follows this person that we don't know the name of yet. Job starts quick, huh? She gets called. A, she she basically got to got to the floor. She took a second, paused, beat. Okay, we got something for you. Started pretty fast for her. more beautiful shots of the silo during this sequence. And Juliet walks into a hallway. Mm-hmm. This is interesting too because not everyone's even on the same page that Juliet's been paged, as it were. It's like Juliet barely got the even the, even the nod to come up, and now she's being called to a crime scene. Yeah. The, the deputy doesn't even know that she's been called. I'm not sure what I'd do. They're in a, that strange sort of middle ground. Um, you know, I think, we've, is a- I think we've had this uh, politically in this country, right? Where there's like somebody gets elected and then like there's that period where they've been elected, but they're, they haven't been sworn in and the, mm-hmm. and the other person is still in office. I'm not talking about the president now. I'm talking about like maybe like governor sure. or lieutenant governor or something. Then something, uh, dramatic happens in the state or the city or whatever and they they kind of have to quickly 
come to terms with like who's on first here. They can't do that because the person who picked the sheriff is dead. And then also the previous sheriff is dead. So I, I can see how there's a lot of confusion here. I mean, effectively, in this precise moment, the entire elected series of government, as best as we understand it, has ceased to exist. There is no mayor. There is no sheriff. The civilian administration is gone. There is a procedure, because we hear that Bernard is now in charge. Yeah, he's mayor pro tem. I can't picture Bernard as an elected official. Yeah, you and I differ on our assumptions, because they're both just assumptions, right? Because they have not told us. 100%. About the other positions and if the mayor um, appoints those or not, right? Because like we had this conversation about judicial where I thought the mayor appointed judicial. You thought it was some sort of like incestuous internal picking thing that they do. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think she picked Bernard for IP. I do think IP. she picked Bernard, yes. I think she probably picked a bunch of other cabinet-level positions. I bet the head of recycling and public works is probably picked by the mayor. So I think that there's other positions we're not seeing is my guess. But again, I don't, I don't know. They haven't told us. I mean, this is as if basically the Secretary of State is now taking over power. Yeah. That's it's pretty, Bernard's equivalent. Right, yeah. And, that, and think about, yeah, that's a really great analogy because think about how uneasy that would make you, right? The listener right now yes. talking to you. Like how uneasy no. it would make you if the, if no. the president, vice president, speakers, speakers, out, speakers out, Senate pro tem. Out, and then all of a sudden the Secretary of State is the president. I think the whole country would be really uneasy with that. And I think yeah. that's probably what they're dealing with in the silo. The cool part about this scene is that there's a conversation going on that unless you have subtitles on or you have some spectacular <laughs> hearing, you weren't going to catch it. So I wrote it down. It's Sam. I hear what you're saying. I really do. We're just asking for a little discretion. This is Bernard. Mm-hmm. Juliet walks into the room. Sim says he agrees with. Now you can start to hear the conversation. Sim yeah. says he agrees with Bernard. It'll be bad enough when word gets out she's dead in the room. Bernard, Sam, Marnes, and Sims. So that's Bernard, Sam, Marnes. That's his full name. And Sims, um, I said that here because I think that Bernard goes back and forth with calling him Sam and Marnes. So mm-hmm. you need to know his first name, Sam. And Sims, who is common. Mm-hmm. We see the door in the bathroom open. There's a body in the middle, uh, right of the screen, covered with a blanket. Presumably the mayor. Sims goes on and says, add murder to that. and The situation might become unmanageable. Bernard says, people in the silo need comfort. I love how all these people play God. Like they all seem to think they know what 10,000 people need at any given point. Like it's a lot of mother hinning going on from this leadership. There is a certain paternalistic expectation attached to this. They're basically working into the idea that there is a whole collection of children that are active that have knives at hand at hand and have no knowledge of what to do with them other than swing them about if they're not being directed so it it's also interesting too i'm still working to the assumption that judicial is in some way behind this but even with that assumption i don't think either common or tim robbins are wrong or sims or bernard if you want to use their actor their, their character names they're this is already a, a, a bit of a pressure cooker from what we've seen just with there not being a, sh- a sheriff in place and with the prior sheriff having been sent out to clean. If news gets out that we're worried that the mayor was murdered, I can see that blowing just from what we've seen previously. I'm going to say this and I'm not going to offer my own commentary during it. And the self-restraint I'm going to show is going to be spectacular. So watch this. Okay. <laughs> Go on. So Obama used to talk about how the American public, if you poll them and you ask them any particular question, 
you might get answers that are a bit unsettling about what they know, don't know about government, what they care about, don't care. But when the time comes and when they actually sit down and they have to make hard choices about who their leaders are or the direction of the country or what to do in a crisis, the American people, by and large, get it right. That's his opinion. That's what he stated that he sees as a pattern throughout history. I don't feel like any of the leadership has that same sort of rose-tinted opinion of the citizenry of the silo. Nobody has offered any version of that so far to say, hey, guys, I know a few people have gone down to recycling to get, like, pipes and shit, but, like, the vast majority of our people here have their shit together. Let's have a little faith in them. I don't get any of that from these people. Not at all. I mean, the closest we see on that end of the spectrum is the mayor, and she still wouldn't have gone anywhere near that far. I mean, she was viewed as an outlier, as practically a rebel, because she wanted to wait a little bit longer to vet other candidates for sheriff. Yep. And that was still deemed as utterly extreme and destabilizing, that she would be willing to just delay to allow the people to be among themselves for a certain period of time. So, I'm with you. This is not this is this is a leadership that is not graced with exceptional optimism in their own citizenry. So Marnes firing back at Bernard, who says the thing about the people in the silo needing comfort. He says, you know, if it's comfort that you want, you can get me a focused judicial list of every criminal who's ever crossed my path. Twenty five levels, either side of the mids deputy station. And I'll tell you, I'm saying it relatively clear. He's slurring his words. Um, I think he's he's already started drinking. Yeah, I was going to ask. He's coming across more drunk than I thought he was. I think he. I think he drank in the interim. I think. Yes, I, think he I agree. Um, and I think he stays drunk this basically the entire episode. Bernard uh, says, "100 fifty levels." And the point of that would be Sims answers for uh, for Marnes here and says he believes she was poisoned by someone in the mids. Marnes says it's rat poison. Seen it before. You can't trace it or smell it. Whoever did this last night when we were at the deputy station, Bernard's is just watching. Somebody broke into the station. We went for a walk. That's when the murder, murderer poisoned our bottles, says Marnes. Bernard questions. Bottles? Plural. Marnes responds rather pointedly. When was the last time you walked the silo with someone, Bernie? Sidebar. Like the name Bernie for this guy. I'm digging that. I don't think he likes the name Bernie. Yeah. I don't think he ever wants anyone to ever refer to him as Bernie. What, what would be a na- nickname that you would... Spincy? Don't ever do that again. Spincy? No, that 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 is not part of our relationship. What's up, Spencey? <laughs> yeah, I don't know if I like it. Spence is pushing it, man. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if I like it, but I do like Bernie for this guy. Anyway, he says, "Oh, that's right. You don't walk." This is Martin talking to Bernard again. Oh, that's right. You don't walk the silo, do you? So, like, eh, a little bit of classism here, right? Like, it's oh, you big up toppers. Like, you you don't ever walk the silo. You don't know what it's like to be a man of the people, woman of the people, like me, like the mayor was, right? Um, what you do, <clears throat> and he explains it to him functionally. He says, "What you do mm-hmm. is you drink from the bottom." Um, from the bottle on each other's backs because it's easier than trying to reach your own. And if Ruth's bottle hadn't had that leak, I'd be lying on that floor too. I'm picturing, I'm not picturing calling you Tear Bear, and I don't know how I feel about that. Tear, I've heard that one before. I've heard a couple people try Tear Bear on me before. That's my, that's a, a I go by Lee on the podcast. I, I have a long name. One of my names is Terry. Uh, yeah, Tear Bear's okay. Um, Lee doesn't really have good nicknames. No, really it's already short. You can't, you yeah, can't shorten Lee. that anymore. The only thing you can do is like assume it's short for something like Lee, Leah, mm-hmm. Lee. Leviticus. Leviticus. There you go. That's a good one. I get that. I get that sometimes people ask me, so y- your name is blah. Is it short for blah? And then I have to be like, no, I'm from the South. It's actually just the name. It's actually just <laughs> it's, that. 
<laughs> we, we, we can discuss where the name comes from, but it's just the name. In the, in the South, we call kids Bob, and it's not short for Robert. That is just nope. Bob. <laughs> mm-hmm. 100%. Uh, so I think what he's getting at here is that Roos bottle had a leak. So he didn't get poisoned. He didn't get poisoned because when he went to have some water, it was gone. Um, it, it, it had already leaked out. And it's interesting how Bernard responds to that of where he's pointing out that, you know, both bottles were poisoned. I just didn't get it because her bottle was leaking. And so when I was going to her pack to get it, there, I, there was no water for me to drink to get poisoned by. Which is a profound assumption on his part. 100%. It's interesting also how Bernard interprets that. Because it's 100% an assumption just to assume both bottles are poisoned or whatever. Everything else he's attaching to that, the rat poison, everything else. He's on a spiral of assumptions. But Bernard immediately says in response to that, oh, so she wasn't the target. And that's like, dude, that's even an assumption beyond what he's doing right now. So why do you think why do you think Marnes mentally makes this leap to, okay, she's been poisoned. That must mean that both bottles were poisoned, and I would have gotten it if there hadn't been a leak. Why do you think he makes that jump? I, I think it, I think one of the hints we get within this episode is it's grounded in seeing how Juliet processed her trauma of loss with respect to her two loved ones. And immediately dedicated herself to trying to find solutions in the in the world around her. Tried to fix things. Tried to take some measure of control that otherwise had been taken from her. So I think he's just investing everything in something he understands, tying it to past crimes he's seen, just so he can have some measure of control over a life that's wrapped well, a life that has been lost and for his own that's rapidly spinning out of anything that he previously understood. I think that like my understanding of it is explained a little bit here in this next quote from Marnes. He says, Please. don't say she. You don't say she about her. He grabbed a chair and he's slamming it against the desk. Which, by the way, you don't have a lot of chairs around here, dude. Can you please not break Loss. it? Um, hey, Juliet can fix it. We've seen it later. That's that's Mayor Ruth John. She carried every, every level, every election for the past 40 years. <laughs> by the way, somebody who's worked in campaigns, pretty impressed by that. There wasn't oh. a soul from top to bottom that didn't love her and everybody she met because I saw she was very... You know, and then he starts crying and he says, fuck, I think that like it does not like the idea that someone would try to kill the mayor before him mm-hmm. when he walks doesn't around basically in. pissing everybody off all the time, knowing he's doing it. And he and he view, he has her on such a pedestal. Right. Some of it rightfully, because, I mean, carrying every level for 40 years in every election is pretty fucking remarkable but i also think he's in love with her right so he has her on this pedestal i just don't think it aligns with his worldview that somebody would kill her and not him i don't think he can process that i don't uh i'm with you with that regard i think he's also i think it's an excellent point to make i think it also if we feed into my theory that you know judicial slash bernard were behind this it is something that they are very willing to allow him to believe and run with going forward. Okay, I am going to now, and I'm, I'm talking as like, I'm, I, I, I'm able to tell you kind of how I was viewing this when I first saw it. This is, not, this is not based through what I know from the rest of the show. Bernard says, or no, Sims. Sims just looks at him after this whole thing, and he says, you'll have the list before daybreak. We just ask whatever you do, you do it quietly. I believe that was sympathy from Sims. Uh, Sim, I have and a very... I don't, I'm not sure I distrust Sims as much as, and, I, and I'm not sure if you distrust Sims specifically. I know you distrust judicial a lot. I think I might trust Sims more than I trust broader judicial. I'm 100% in that boat in a way I was not before this episode of where 
getting to see that Sims and Marnes actually have a relationship seem, if anything, that they actually are actually kind of friends, yeah. like share a beer level of friends. Like actually friends. I didn't expect that at all. And seeing his reactions, seeing his seemingly expressing just outright sympathy for a friend and his friend's loss was not something I really expected out of Sims. But tying into getting to spend time with him and his kids previously... I think the show wants us to have a certain measure of just, like, outright empathy and trust for this guy. That whether judicial is crooked, whether the judge is crooked, whether Bernard's connected into that, sure. But let's see that there might be a lighter shade of black going on with respect to Sims here. Okay, so I I did an Obama thing earlier where I was talking about Obama's view of the American citizenry. A little common fact for you. Would you like a common fact? Do you mean the actor or just the common information? Common to capital C. (laughs) Making sure. Uh, He once uh, wrote a song where he was talking about George W. Bush and he said, why don't we impeach him and elect Obama? When did he do that? Before Obama was a U.S. senator. When Obama was a state senator, he put that out. Farsighted fellow. How about that, right? I have no idea about that. Yeah, he he was absolutely. What a call. That was Babe Ruth times three. It may say something about my music choices, but I now know a lot more about Common as an actor than I ever do as about about a musician. Well, he hasn't made music in like fifteen years. I think that's I think that's reasonable. Um, yeah. But anyway, I thought I saw sympathy from Sims there, and he says he's going to give him the list. He does clearly give him the list later. So Bernard looks and sees Juliet, and he goes, "Miss Nichols and Marns." I can tell you this: the first thirty minutes of this episode, everything that Marns does to Juliet. First off, I'm Team Juliet all the way. I'm Team Juliet far above anybody else on this show, but it makes me laugh every time he addresses her because he is so disrespectful. He just looks at her and goes, what the fuck are you doing here? Yeah. (laughs) We're going to talk about about Juliet's management style we see here in a minute, but nothing about how Marnes treats her is appropriate for all of this episode, but it is endlessly entertaining. It is really funny. Bernard says, I had a porter retrieve Miss Nichols as soon as... Uh, as she's soon to be our sheriff, Martin says, she's not. She ain't going to be sheriff unless she's sworn in. And Bernard, trying patience with Martin, goes, I'm well aware of that, deputy. But considering the urgency of the situation, I thought it best that she join us. And I think if I agree with Bernard, Bernard is going to be the mayor. He's the mayor pro tem now. And if he is going to carry forward the mayor's appointment, which is Julietta Sheriff, which he seems to be committed to doing, then I think you have to bring her in now. What do you think? 100%. I mean, Setting aside possible insidious moment, insidious motives in a way that we've discussed and assumed, everything they're doing on paper is appropriate. They, he stepped in as mayor pro tem, they're assisting the deputy with respect to his investigation, and they're taking immediate steps to enforce the last mayor's orders to put a sheriff in place the way they wanted. It's not even the sheriff they want, but they need to make big steps like this to reassure, to reassure the people and establish a certain measure of authority, along with setting into their advice for the deputy of, okay, investigate however you want, but let's keep the idea that you think that she was murdered out of the newspapers for right now. Barnes fires off at one, the other, maybe both of them. I don't know. He just says, like you, like you would know what the fuck to do here anyway. And he's saying this as he's starting to crouch down next to the mayor's body. Bernard oh. walks over and says, Miss Nichols, I'm Bernard Holland. Got his last name there, Holland, the head oh. of IT. They shake hands. Juliet says, she, I know who you are. Bernard, Bernard explains that per the pact, he is now to be mayor pro tem. What? That, that kind of rocked me a little bit when that line got dropped. I was wondering about that. It's good to know they've got a, you know an order of succession in plan. I wasn't necessarily expecting it to be Bernard, but just from who we've seen previous, 
I'm glad that it doesn't immediately default to, to judicial. Me too. I'm glad yeah, that there's I was steps worried in place judicial. before that. Yeah, I was worried it was judicial too. But I feel like it, it had to be someone other than judicial because I feel like if it was judicial, it should be over. It'd be like, okay, well, yeah, right, well it's like, they now win. judicial just rolls with it. Yeah, it rolls with an iron fist, right? Um, he says, at least until elections can be held. She looks over at the body of Marnes is on the floor, weeping next to it. Bernard says that as soon as he's sworn in, he'll come over and swear her in too. Juliet looks at the body and Marnes uncovers the mayor's face. So, Je- Ju- so Juliet definitely sees that it's the mayor here. She sees the mayor's face in the scene. Bernard asks her to step over to the sheriff's department. He says they need to get her up to speed as soon as possible, but she's still watching Marnes. Then we get the intro. Long, cold opening this week. Long, cold opening. Indeed. In question here, because we're going to see a scene with the two of them later. From this scene and from the next scene, do we believe that Bernard and Juliet have ever physically met or just otherwise aware of each other? Because here they're representing... Bernard's acting as if they've never met and don't even know each other. But we see later that that's not the case. I think that... um, I think that she's seen him, Mm -hmm. you know, but I don't know that they've ever actually spoken to each other. That's the impression I got. They're plainly aware of each other and had a certain measure of hostility in the past over tape. But that's not something he's that he wants to discuss in the open right now with other people present. But I'm not sure. I did, I'm not sure. I assumed from their later conversation that he approached her directly about the tape, right? Like I think I, it might have been like indir- indirectly. Yeah. Um, so back to young Juliet. She's got a toy. She puts it on her bed. It's like a little stuffed figure, and then mm-hmm. walks out of her room into a main room. Her dad is in another room, room over over to the side, and basically another bedroom. Uh, and I think her brother's in it. She then starts working on some chair. Her dad, or no, her brother's not in it, right? Because her brother would be dead her, at this point. Um, her brother and seemingly mom are yeah. dead and or gone at this so, point. But, but the dad is in the brother's room, so that I don't yes. know what's going on there. Uh, she starts working on some swivelly chair. I call them swivelly chairs. What do you call those? Swivel chairs? Yeah. I call them swivelly chairs. Uh, her dad tells her she's going to have to <laughs> the, eat. The, at, the gift of Thomas Jefferson to the world. <laughs> you have to eat at the one of many to eat at the mm. cafeteria or at the school that day. He says, "I got to be down in the clinic early." She seems disappointed. Ask if he'll fix the chair. And he says, "I'm going to need you to do me a favor. Mom's stuff, Jacob's stuff, is long overdue in recycling." Oh, he says they'll come in and take it if they don't give it up. She doesn't love this, and in my notes, I have in parentheses, can't imagine she would. But he says, you can't keep things that could be used by someone else, all right? He tells her to get the bag. He says he'll walk her halfway. So he's telling this 13-year-old girl, I'm going to need you to take all your mom, your dead mom and your dead brother's shit and throw it away today. Could you do that for me? Thank you. Solo. Like, I'll, I'll walk you halfway there. I know he's struggling, and that's one thing they're emphasizing the episode. I think almost to a degree he's purposely trying to get all this stuff out of the house so that he can just better cope with not having all the memories around him, it's selfish, maybe, though. even. It's selfish, because he's trying... 100%. He's trying not to do it himself. He doesn't want to be part of the process. He just wants them gone so that he can be a part of, you know, coping or moving on. But what quality parent in the world would make your kid do, do this on their own wouldn't this be like a key aspect of bonding and grieving to be there with your kid while you guys have a certain element of letting go associated with putting their items away and recycling i think they're walking a very interesting line with this character with sir jorah mormon bear island mm-hmm. stand up is this we are seeing someone who is not necessarily a bad person but no. is a bad parent and I think that's a hard line to, to walk. Like, I don't think this guy walks around being a shit to everybody all the time. No. But I think that sometimes decent people in the world 
are bad parents and probably shouldn't be parents. Like that happens where, and it doesn't mean that you're like fucking Ted Bundy, but it does mean you're not that good of a parent. And that this guy's not a good fucking parent from what we see. Now it could change, but what I've seen this episode, I'm willing, I don't think I'm stepping out that far out on a limb to say this guy's a fucking, he's got some problems. He's got some problems. I actually really liked this portrayal because it's providing a nuanced middle ground you rarely see. Either it's the self-sacrificing perfect parent or it's an utterly flawed abusive bastard. Or usually, the, usually the ends of the spectrum Mother that Teresa color most of television. Bundy, right? It's one it, or the other with, with regard to parenting. You never see this like sort of nuanced view. Flawed. Yeah, exactly. It's like he does not come across in any way as a bad guy. He comes across as a sympathetic guy who's just not able to cope with his own shit and also manage being a parent in a way that he would have to do with these circumstances. He he is a bad parent, though. Like to do this is pretty rough. Like that. If this doesn't get you, it's if, definitely not a great moment. If you can't put this in bad parent, like what does it fucking take? Now it is unquestionably in the category of bad parent. I'm not willing to go so far as to say that he is overarching throughout their entire relationship a bad parent. But I think in the loss, in the moment, in everything else that he's trying to endure while also raising a kid. This is a fundamental failing that colors their relationship going forward in that tragic kind of way. Bill Parcells, Spencer. Bill Parcells, you are what your record is. You can't yeah. you can't say you're a three and sixteen, but you're still good. Bill Parcells would always say, No, 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 you are what your record is. This yeah, guy is agree. what his record is. He's a bad parent he because agree. he's being a bad parent. I think we would agree he would agree though, you also can't judge a team by the performance in a single game. Well, we got we got a little bit more this episode, right? Like we didn't get we, just we get, we got we got some later that gave a somewhat better view of him as a person. I I will I will we'll, we can talk about it when we get we'll, there. We'll discuss it. I I think I'm a little bit more willing to for, I, from what I'm gathering in this conversation to call someone a bad parent. Like I don't think that that's the death sentence that like a lot of people might think it maybe and maybe maybe parents are listening mm-hmm. to this and they're cringing hard, but it's like you might not just be that good at it, like. That's fucking okay. Like he, this guy seems like he loves to work. He's committed to work. And like this thing of like cultivating a relationship with a child doesn't seem to be high on his priority list. We'll see. We'll get there. My, my, my only statement is I can't say from what we see whether that is just a new thing as a result of the loss of his wife and his son or whether that is a recurrent going through and now it's just a more obvious gap in her parental support because the actual loving parent is now gone. Yeah, and I mean, I'm sure I'm sure there are people listening to this going like, wow, Leah's like being really, uh, really harsh on a guy who just left, lost his son and his wife. And it's like, well, I mean, in a way I am because he still yeah. has a daughter. He, he, has still, responsibilities. he still has a daughter that's there. And this is like a really rough thing to be asking her to do. And I just, I feel like we should, we should call that spade a spade. So uh, th- th- this guy should be taking days at work. Like, you know, this in particular is a day that priorities are you need to spend this with your daughter if this is what you guys want to do today. You need to go with her to recycling. You need to be with her the whole day to process letting go of all the physical memories of your now lost loved ones. Okay, now I'm going to fuck with you because now I might be taken up for him a little bit. Because What? what? Yeah, well, because he delivers babies. I wonder how many people they have. They can wait. I, that's what I'm saying. Like he might not. Ha- he might actually have the rare job that there really is no waiting. That like, like he really uh, can't take a day off. Bull, bull, bull. The entire drop off at recycling was like a minute and a half. He could at least have been there for that. Agreed. Um, yeah, I don't know. I was just trying it out. Um, 
So come to modern day Juliet, walking into the cafeteria, which is the walk you have to do to get to the sheriff's office, which Holston talked about last episode. Who is this dude? This Lucas, I think we get his name is later, that is just in the cafeteria every time she goes in there. Do we know this guy? Maybe he's an admirer. Yeah. Just like all, Don't all you think Juliet should have some admirers? She's already got you. I don't think she. I don't think anybody needs the competition. Well, you and me and you. We've already established that this is a pro Juliet podcast. Me and you together, both of us, teamwork, both of us. Uh, both of I, us. I understand though that if I get in your way, I might get shifted in a corner. So I respect the fact that you have you know priority with respect to this. We're big Juliet fans here. That's all I'm I, saying. Is it, yeah? Uh, well, I, I don't think I, we know. I, I don't think we know. I think. I assumed who, who it was, is on your turf, my friend. I actually honestly assumed he was an admirer. Like the way he was just sort of like lingering. I was like, is this guy just somebody who wants well, to talk to her? He, he's not only just lingering with her. He's that he's ling- He's like, he didn't linger and just stare at her when he was lingering. The first shot we have of him lingering is looking out that window at bodies on a hill. Well, you don't just, I mean, if you're, I mean, if you're lingering to talk to a person, you don't just sit and stare at them. <laughs> You, you got to figure Wait, out. Something. Have I been doing this wrong? Yes. God, this explains so we much. We got to have a separate talk, Spencer. <laughs> so, anyway, Man, we hear the restraining this. orders are finally making sense. Hey, you don't just sit and stare. He, I, that, that may be the pretense. I mean, the pretense of him hanging around is like, oh, well, I'm looking at the screen or whatever. But like, he, you know, he might be there for her. We'll see. So, uh, we hear this. Are you Nichols? Someone asked her. She confirms it's the same lady who worked with Holston. We get her name later which we'll get to. Uh, she leads Juliet into the sheriff's office. Keys are yours. Uh, one opens main door, the other his office. Um, the third, Holston's apartment. Hmm. Nay, nay, nay. Nay, nay, nay. Hmm. I've got, look, hey, I've got presidents that I really, really liked in my lifetime. Guess sure. what? Guess yes. what? It was still the fucking White House. It was never their house. Like, I think this was, <laughs> I don't, I think this was always an apartment for the sheriff, right? It's not Plainly, because she's occupying it yeah, now. Yeah, it's not Holston's apartment. Um, well, I think we get a lot of signs from this conversation that uh, I think her name, you said her name was, I think, the script here says her name is Sandy. That's it is Sandy, yeah, yeah, we, yeah. Okay. I do the thing during Sandy. the recap. I, I assume they're watching the show with us in 10-minute increments. I don't know why you do, but I appreciate your investment in that. <laughs> I still haven't heard from a single fan who does that, but I'm holding out. Holding okay. out. Hope. But, I think it's plain we get from this conversation later that Sandy was very attached to Holston and yeah, maybe sure. yeah. overly attached to him rather than her responsibilities to the position. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it, maybe, but I can see how that, that line gets blurred when Holston was, was sheriff for so long. And it seems like he's a guy who inspired loyalty. He seemed like a really good dude. So I could see how in the immediate aftermath of this, it would be really hard to get behind a new sheriff, especially one who's as fucking punchy as Juliet is. Because, it's, look, yeah. you and I are both Team Juliet. We both really like Juliet a lot. Both of us, both of us. But uh-huh. really kind of tough with Sandy, right? Like, come on, Juliet. Like, maybe... <laughs> This is what I want to discuss. Go through the scene and let's let's discuss. Still, Juliet. Yeah, she tells Juliet to write down her measurements: shoe size, clothes size, etc. She says she'll get her at least one uniform by the next morning. If you bleed or sweat through that one, you'll be wearing it all week. So try not to get <laughs> filthy. Can we have two uniforms, please? That didn't that didn't feel like what a sub, how a subordinate talks to a boss. Uh, no, it didn't feel like it. Uh, she says. Probably after this, after looking at the state of, she, I think she probably said this after the looking at the state of Juliet's clothes too. I think that's that's. Uh, she was taking a shot at how Juliet looked, but also a little sass, right? So she's holding mm-hmm. Holston's badge. Juliet is. Uh, Sandy, is that her name? Sandy. Yeah. Sandy points out that it was Holston's. She says, I'll take that. And Juliet goes, I'll keep it. Now, my question for you, Spencer, mm. why didn't, I'm just going to ask this question 
let's answer it after I finished a couple more things to recap. But this is the inherent question in that, that line of dialogue when she says, I'll keep it. Why didn't she say he specifically left it to me? He wanted me to have it. That would have helped that conversation so much more than just, I'll keep it. Because from oh. Sandy's perspective, Juliet has walked in that office, has grabbed Holston's badge, which was his personal property, and has said, no, I'm just going to keep this. It's appropriating. Yeah. Let's make a list here of the various ways that Juliet could have handled this conversation better. Because Sandy's coming in with an attitude. She's hot. In She's a way running that, hot. Hey, hey, hey. You, you and I have both managed people in the past. You, you more so than me. You get into a new position, you're going to run into people that have a certain degree of dissatisfaction with the fact that somebody's now occupying a role where they previously had a close relationship with the boss or whatever else. This is not unusual behavior from subordinates. It's a little bit hotter than I'm used to seeing with respect to this, but it's not entirely out of bounds for what you expect when you come into a new position like this. Juliet should recognize that and handle this conversation a lot better, but Juliet has no experience managing people. Oh, no, she's no managed somebody. Uh, she's got a shadow. Well. Not well. She did, but she did punch him in the face last episode. He's still carrying bruises from her last management lesson. Yeah, that's true. Uh, she's not great with people in any sense of the word, and we get yeah. to see a lot of examples of that. She could have done so much at the start of this conversation by just clarifying right there, like you said, no, Holston gave this to me as a personal gift pursuant to his last instructions. I'd prefer to keep it if that's all right with you. And that would have gone a long way to de-ruffle some issues that go later. See, it's one of like four things she could have There's done. even a better way to do it. I well, think, please. yeah, because I think what you do is you say, Holston, did the, oh, this? Yeah, Holston actually left this to me. Like, I, mm -hmm. shocked me too. He, yeah, he, he left it to me. Uh, a and then, bonding moment of surprise. And then, and then, and then, then pause and let her be in on the decision for you to keep it. Let her go, oh, mm -hmm. well, then you should probably keep it then. And say, oh yeah, I think so too. Like, you can actually start to develop, like, uh, we're making this decision together because unless Sandy's just wildly unreasonable, which we, I don't think she is. Uh, she'd probably, if she had that piece of information, she probably would have gone with you into that. What? But yeah, you're, you're right. Uh, Juliet, who we both support a lot, both of us, uh, mm -hmm. leaving a couple things on the table here. So, yeah, even the way, even the way we and I just talked about it, is that at that point you're framing it as respecting Holston's wishes. So you got to between a rock and a hard place. It's yeah. Like, oh, you, you liked Holston. This is what Holston wanted. Would you like to so she, second guess and walk back that? Yeah. So she's going to, if she hears that, she's going to say, yeah, then you should have it too. But then it sounds like it's also part her decision. Um, yes. then she Juliet asked about food. I'll say this. It's also probably not a good thing. Two minutes into your relationship with your assistant to ask them to get you a sandwich. That's not great. <laughs> Wait, I really need to be taking notes on human interactions, man, because I'm, I'm, I'm getting L's all over the place what you're telling me here. Uh, look, we, big Juliet supporter. I'm just going to point these out as I see them. That's all I'm saying. Uh, uh, yeah, let's be fair. Sandy's response here, really not great. No, no. She says, cafeteria opens at five. She's like, anything. A couple, couple lines down. Anything now. Yeah, grab and go three levels down. I was told to stock the fridge in the apartment, but I have no idea what you people eat down deep. You people, let's get let's have that discussion now. Juliet just cocks her head at that, and, and I think that like Julia is not Juliet is falling into a trap that many people who manage people for the first time do. And here's the trap: it is that they're promoted to a position of management, and they themselves are questioning if they should be in that position. They have serious self conscious. They're being they're seriously self conscious about themselves yeah. in the role the doubt the doubt so they feel like they need to immediately exert authority to 
artificially create the fact that I'm a manager now. Like, mm-hmm. I don't know. I, it, it doesn't sound super logical when I'm saying it out loud, but I've seen a million people do it. Like it happened, not a million, but I've seen a lot of people do it. It happens a lot where they go, they're questioning, man, I don't know if I should be a manager or not. Like uh, there's all this self-doubt and the way that they cope with that is to be overly formal with the rule structure and overly mm-hmm. formal with the, I'm giving you a direct order stuff, right? That's what she's falling into here. But, so she's having that problem, but this is a personal affront. And this is when it, her, with her and Sandy, she's like ready to almost soccer. Because mm-hmm. she says children mostly, sometimes each other. Now, if Sandy... Let's let's look at the other side of this conversation. If Sandy would have just laughed and said, "You're right. I'm. I don't know where that was. I'm sorry. That was that was completely out of line on my part. Yeah. I'm, I'm sorry about that." And and they could have laughed together. I think it would have de-escalated. Oh. But Sandy does not do that. Sandy holds tight. Either of them could have made a conscious effort to make this conversation go better and establish a relationship going forward. I would say that. Sandy showing something, well, Juliet showing something will have more effect on Sandy than Sandy showing something will have effect on Juliet, from what I've seen of these characters previously. Because I don't think Juliet's going to open up that much. It's just not in her character. However, also I would say, and we'll see this more, Juliet being the manager has the bigger responsibility to make that bridging effort. That's just the nature of her role. And it's not in her to do that. Yeah. I, I still think, though, that like she has got to learn... The lesson that like whenever what, humility whenever you as a manager invoke i'm your manager so therefore you need to do this because i told you to whenever you invoke that you whittle down a very precious amount of resource of that that you have available mm-hmm. to you and you will run out of it very fast like you can't you need to reserve that for when you cannot possibly get it done any other way because you have a very small amount of that resource that you can use up and she uses it immediately so we'll go back to the recap so juliet yeah. looks down then asks what's in the cabinet firearms restricted items she asks if she can get the combination after you're sworn in juliet's had enough she's okay i don't know if your issues with me or just anybody from the bottom 50 but i'm finding this she goes what are the files you want so she wasn't ready for Juliet to go down that road. She goes, you were asking about files. She goes, George Wilkins, mechanical. The Sandy exhale says, look, I get a note from the mayor that says, clean out Holston's office. Nichols is coming. I don't know who you are or why you're here. You haven't asked. Parentheses in my notes. Good point. She yells, I don't give a damn. The only way I'm surprised, only way I've survived this week is by following instructions. And I don't need, Juliet cuts in, I'm Holston's replacement, which I'm guessing makes me your boss. Again. When you invoke that, I'm your boss, therefore you do what I say, it's a, it's a, it's a limited resource you've got. She says, mm-hmm. yeah, I'm from the down deep. I eat the same shit you eat, maybe with a little bit more salt. Might want to watch that. The risk of stroke. Uh, are we done with that? Great. Now you can please get me the Wilkins file and get your door on the way, get the door on the way out. It's it's a rough introduction that definitely unquestionably could be handled better. Like, as you referenced, I'm reminded of Tywin Lannister. Any man who must say, I am the king, is no true king. It's not it's not something you should wield too often. It makes you just look weak and uses up what capital you have. And day one, before she even legally has any, she's already invoking it. Yep. A, a human conversation, a certain, a certain showing of humility, a certain effort made to try to establish a connection over, you know... Shared loss and confusion about what they're go- what they're what they're going through right here would have gone a long way. But here's another here's a, here's another uh, thing I could offer Juliet. Hmm. She says right here, and I, I missed this part in the recap. She says Holston always kept it open, talking about the door. 
mm-hmm. Juliet just shoots her a look and stays quiet. How about if she had done this? I'm fantasy booking my, my, my best friend Juliet here. But if she <laughs> says, oh, okay, well then let's leave it open. And hey, if you notice any other thing that Holston did that I'm, I, I kind of step on, your advice. can you tell me? Because like, I, I don't want to make this too sudden for everybody. I'd prefer if we keep the office kind of the way he did for a while. And mm-hmm. then, and if you say that, like, woo, some potty code right away. Hundred percent. Moment you, moment you say, you know, I, I could really appreciate your advice on some aspects of this. You're involved. You're you're making. You're, you're from their perspective, making them a co-ruler in some way, or at least involving them with respect to your decisions. It goes a long way to getting them under your under your banner. The more you can give people agency in their position, the more mm-hmm. bought in and more excited they'll be to go to work. Juliet. Looks around the office. She looks out in the hallway, and it's the holding cell. She walks up to one of the holding cells, the one with the screen of the outside. Uh, outside the one we've seen many times before. Now. Yeah, the holding, holding cell three. Holding cell three. That's one Holston was in. one Allison was in. She goes into another room, the sheriff's apartment. She starts opening cabinets. Looks kind of nice, I got to say. Like, we've seen now a bunch of other different, you know, apartments. I think the sheriff has a fairly nice pod. Um, Mm -hmm. she turns the air on. She grabs a note that was left for her new occupant. Please send any unwanted items of the previous occupant to recycling for proper distribution. She's seen similar. She, she has, well, throughout the episode, she is flashing back to similar notes in the past. Yeah. So she's cutting. She actually, we do flashback immediately, right? To when she's taking her mother and brother's things to recycling. The man behind, does the script say who this guy is? Uh, just says manager. Manager. Okay, so the manager recycling. Uh, he questions what she's doing, that she's what she's doing and why she's doing it alone. And then she says she needs to. Uh, he needs to look at what she has. You're throwing too many things down the chute. Um, this is now. He's saying this to a subordinate. Yeah, he's talking to a subordinate. Yeah, because like he says to Juliet, I'm gonna need to look at that. And he comes around the corner, and now he's talking to a subordinate. He says, "You're throwing too many things down the shoe." He says, "Mechanical is saying they can fix 90 percent of this stuff, which is no doubt a load of shit." But I gotta check. I like this guy. Uh, <laughs> so, young lady, is this all your stuff? My mom's. She doesn't need it anymore. The other stuff is my oh. brother's. He says, "Oh, your brother? How old is he?" And she goes, "He was 11." And then that's when the guy softens and says, you can keep some of this stuff if you want. These guys, you're not going to know what to do with it, which could may or may not be true. That doesn't matter at this point. So she takes the toy and he says, what about your father? Is he around? So she's working and he says, you know, you really shouldn't be doing this alone. Not at your age. He's, mm. he's right. I don't know if you tell the kid that there in that moment or not. I, I don't, I don't know the right thing to do here because like, Clearly, you want to tell the father that. If you can get your hands yeah. on the father, you need to go tell him that. But telling the kid that, I don't, I don't know if that piles on to their sense of being wronged or whatever. I can sympathize with it. It's a guy who doesn't know the right thing to say, and he's just trying to express sympathy. Yeah, and I don't I, either, clearly. No, and I think he's clearly using his discretion here. You know, the not the unstated aspect of his authority to let her take a few things that probably it's not within the rules to allow her to do that, but. He's perfectly happy to falsify a little form here for the sake of giving her some comfort. Because what more can he offer in this moment? All right. So cut to the kitchen. She's cooking an egg. Now let me help young Juliet and anybody else here who might not be that handy in the kitchen with cooking a single egg in a pan. You ready? Mm-hmm. Heat the pan up. Yeah. Don't put the oil in right away. Nope. Heat the pan up. Put a little bit of oil in it. Crack the egg, and as soon as the egg goes in, very slightly, don't do this fast, you'll break the yolk, very slightly tip the pan so that it the, the egg sort of folds into the bottom 
the half of your pan. That way the white isn't so spread out. She's got a lot of white coverage here. Now, hard to flip that. Of course I forgive her. Of like course her I eggs. forgive her. But uh, well, yeah, it's hard to flip. But also you're not going to eat it when it's like paper thin and burnt. But if you kind of tilt it what? a little bit, you get a little bit more meat on that that white part of the egg. You, you make it that thin, the only thing it's really fit for is like putting on a sandwich or a roll of some kind. Like just otherwise just eating that plain with a knife and fork, that ain't, ain't going to work. Yeah. How do you, you like your fried eggs, by the way? Over easy, over medium, over hard? Yeah. Um, I'd say... I, I'm, I'm definitely a one flip over, over medium kind of guy. Yeah, I don't, I don't flip at all. Uh, I, I do basically like an over easy type deal where I don't, I don't flip it. Uh, or I guess it's, I guess it's not even over easy. I just, I don't flip it. I just cook it for a little while. Uh, you know, and the best way to do this is to actually cover it for a second. Yeah. You cover it you, for a second. Let, let the steam just cook it in that way. Right. Cause I don't, I don't like the flip. I have, I feel like I kind of know my way around the kitchen and I have broken a lot of yolks with that flip. <laughs> My trick, honestly, is to make enough eggs that it fills the pan that I basically just carve them out so they're much more concrete in that kind of way. Mm, okay. Yeah, and you also when you do the flip sometimes, if you're not paying attention, you can cook it a little too much and you don't have too much runny yolk. The runny yolk is the whole point of the operation for me. Uh, it's the only thing I not, care about is the runny yolk. The rest of the egg, it, you can leave it. I want the sauce. It, 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 as you are well aware, I do not enjoy mess when I eat. So, so some runniness is appreciated, but if it's going everywhere, that's involving extra labor that I'm not here for. You know what I am? I'm the I'm the Tuscans in the first episode of Boba Fett. I just want that egg yolk. That's all that, it is. The, the, the Jawas. The Jawas. The, oh, the Jawas. That's right. The, the Jawas. Your preferred egg experience is just to break the top of the egg and just put hands in there up to up to invisible mouths. Just just the yolk. The rest of it I can I can live without. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, cut to the kitchen and she's cooking this egg. So she leaves the she, egg to go fix the chair. She's, also, if you, if you want an egg and you want to leave it alone for a minute, boil it. Don't fry it. Fry it. You can't leave a fried egg alone long. See, these are the type of things that you could be telling a young child if you had one in the house. These are the type of things I could be yelling, telling a young child if I had one in the house. You know you know how a child does not learn this stuff? Uh, when, when their dad's when the not, dad's there not in the shit. fucking house at all to tell them anything. <laughs> uh, anyway, she starts to fix the, fix the chair. She's taking some tools out. She's working on it. Door opens and it's her father. He sees she's working on the chair. He just says, hi, baby. He doesn't say, thank you for working on the chair. I appreciate your efforts. He then hears the alarm goes off. He runs over to the pan. His dumbass grabs the pan. Cast iron pan. His dumbass does handle. that and then blames her for it after he gets burnt. You notice he's this is the thing. This guy's not at that. He's not that angry until he burns himself. And yeah. then he wants someone to blame because he stupidly burned himself. So he starts yelling at his daughter. Absolutely not cool. He says, what the hell are you doing? She says, I was hungry and you weren't home. He says, so you start a fire, which she hasn't done. She says, I was fixing the chair. He says, the chair can't be fixed. She picks it up, whap, puts it right on the ground, places it down, says, it can and I did. This is the Juliet I know right here. Shout out. Very much so. She then yells and she took all of mom and Jacob's things down alone. She's starting to break now. He slows down, says, oh, honey, I'm sorry. This is the way things are now. Because of you, I shouldn't have to do this. And he yells, neither should I. What choice do we have? Which, again, I'm, I'm sympathetic to the guy. He's going through some shit, too. Sure, of course he but is. A lot. This ain't great. Parent. This, this, this isn't a great parenting moment from any side of the perspective. It's like, honestly, kids almost start... Kids... This isn't a fire. This is not an uncommon thing with kids when they try, to, try their foray with cooking. It happens. 
This is barely even just a, this isn't even a stern conversation. This is just a learning experience kind of thing. He's mad that he burned his hand. He's not mad that she cooked the egg. He's not mad that she fixed the chair. He's a, he's just a jackass who got, he, he did something wrong by grabbing a hot pan with his hand. And he, then he turned around and blamed his daughter for it. Kick the dog well, type he, of thing. He's also mad that she's not making things easy. That he wants there to be no problems, he wants there to be no issues, because he's trying to deal with his own shit. And the fact that she's causing any disruption to that, he's hyper-responding to it. Now, one thing I have seen, because I have seen in my life, uh, a parent, uh, parents together have one child. One parent dies. Yes. One parent left with single child, right? That parent who's still alive is grieving so hard that they actually kind of hand the kid off to a grandmother, a aunt, a whatever for it's, six months, eight months, whatever. I look, don't love that, but can't judge that. Right. Can't that. That's one thing I, I, I feel like I, I cannot judge. I wonder if he just doesn't have that option here. Is there nobody else that in his immediate family that he, that she could help with Juliet for a while while he works through this stuff? I can deeply respect somebody that can honestly vet what they can and can't take. That if someone can honestly vet in advance that I'm not going to be able to do this the way I, it needs to be done, it's not great that they can't, but the fact that they are able to tell you that and honestly reach that conclusion and find an alternative, I can deeply respect that. Maybe this guy doesn't have that option, or maybe he's just not at that level of perspective to be able to reach that that, that conclusion. Or maybe he does by the end of the episode. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, like, it's my podcast, so I'm just sh- I'm sharing my thoughts, right? Like, I could totally be off about some of this um, because it's a tricky situation, right? He's dealing with his own grief as well. I don't mean to like, like slam my fist on the ground and be like, I know everything, but I'm just telling you what I think. But like, I, I mm-hmm. am, I am put off by his actions while being able to acknowledge that he's struggling. He's dealing with grief too. And, you know, I want him to be able to grieve as well. I, that, that part isn't lost on me, but you still got a daughter who's there in front of you. And mm-hmm. there's got to be a better way. And it, maybe that's your the, tweaking your approach. Maybe that's what he should do. Or maybe it's what we talked about, which is trying to find somebody else who can help with Juliet for a while. And that's, in essence, what he does, right, with Martha. In the end, yeah. Except that Juliet has to engineer the whole thing, and it's not immediate family, and she's like 30 levels down or what the fuck ever. And he never sees her again. he never sees again. her again, right? Like, so it would be, I feel like it would be maybe better for, like, somebody three doors down to maybe look after Juliet for a little while. I don't know. I'm not, I found this well played, that this guy is realistically flawed and their relationship is appropriately, very authentic for real life, damaged as a result of that. And it's a process of people using, going about un, imperfect ways of addressing their problems. And we're seeing that play out in a way I found very believable. Agreed. Agree with that completely. Yeah, I mean, my, I think that whenever I get this deep into critiquing a character... The show's done a great job because I care because I I I believe what I'm seeing enough to like develop all these opinions and I care right so I think the show's doing a great job so testament to Ian Glenn as an actor that even de-aged he can still represent Bear Island knows no king but one king (laughs) cut to a different Mormont but still representing that king and all his name is Snow cut to her dad knocking on her door she's crying honey they're gone and i can't fix it heck of a line heartbreaking she cries and mm. looks at her toy he says not everything can be fixed jules she doesn't answer but it uh so he walks away cut to juliet um modern day juliet who wakes up from a nap she's 
took her first nap in Holston's apartment. Ha ha, her apartment. It's a knock at the door and it's Bernard. He asks if he can come in and comes in. Uh, I'm sorry, you can, you can sleep with that noise. And she says, I can't sleep without it. And I think there's a rattling like in, the, in her vent that he's talking about. He seems to ignore that. Says she wants to fix it. She can reach out to maintenance. She goes, ah, I can. He says, they're a particularly territorial bunch, but good at what they do. She says, I can handle it. And he goes, well, that's your choice. You'd be making an enemy, but I'll let you work all that through. And like I, in that moment, implicitly trusted Bernard with the politics of the up top, right? I, th- I think he, yes. whatever he just told her there, that insight about like, you maybe should let maintenance fix it so they don't think you're stepping on their toes. Whatever it was, I believed it. Um, I, I also interpret that as being a broader advice dealing with other groups up top, but also particularly him, is that, hey, you know, you can go about your own way of doing things. You might ruffle some feathers going forward, just so you know. Mm. Also, opportunity right here with respect to that. Consider yourself. Yeah, pretty good, pretty good insight there. He says he's there to swear her in as sheriff, and he's brought a witness. She starts to scoff, and he asks what's funny. She says just that you would be the one swearing me in when you were the one who accused me of stealing heat tape. Just And he says, I thought that <laughs> might come up. Did you? Does Juliet ever exist to not poke people over what she sees uh, sees in front of her? Well, let's because we're big Juliet fans in this podcast, both of us, me and you, both of sure. us. Sure. Let's look at the other side of that coin. She talks it out. She's going to get like she's not going to be one of these people that like there's this like creeping thing and like weird because I mean look we've all had that right like where you're 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 having to interact with somebody and there's this like thing hanging over it that either neither one of you refuse both of you refuse to talk about right mm-hmm. that happens Juliet will never be in that situation because she will talk about said thing so that could be a good thing she does and she frames it as if he falsely accused her now let's process the rest of the conversation Miss Nichols did you steal that tape she says no I appropriated it because we needed it <laughs> That is Juliet's way of explaining any scenario. We've heard that before from everyone that's around her. I can't help but stick up for Juliet here. We know that keeping the generator running, there there are no computers to worry about overheating if the generator's not running. Sure. So she needed it. She took it. What's the problem? I don't know. I'm with Juliet on this one. Is that the best way of going about it? Do we know exactly what she used it for? I can't say yes to either of those questions. But she clearly believes that, it, that her need of it exceeded anyone else's. I think that also may be just a statement on her own character, fix, uh, the character's own fixation on her issues. But considering recent events, I think it's, he, this is Bernard. He says, you're not my best choice. You were not my choice for the position. But considering recent events, I think it's best we let bygones be bygones. No, she says, of course. He asked her to place her hand on the pack and repeat after him. Cut to someone working on a safe. And it's Juliet, and she's opening the safe. Uh, in comes the assistant. She needs Juliet's signature. Which, as the assistant, would you be concerned that Sheriff Day One is already pick, is already opening the lock to the gun safe, particularly in this community? Eh, I don't know. Maybe. Um, it's, it was framed in that conversation with the mayor and Marnes that opening the gun safe was meant to be like you know crossing the Rubicon kind of thing. Like that's a really big deal that you know you can't really walk back to open the gun safe. Maybe. I mean, it was kind of framed that way, but we also see Marnes has a gun, so I don't know. <laughs> I don't think he's, I don't think Barnes is supposed to, honestly. No, I don't think so either. But uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, maybe it's like, I don't know. Like, uh, you know, look, I'll tell you this. If you elect me president, I will look at the Roswell files on day one. <laughs> I know you will. I will. I know you on would. day one, I'm what? looking at them. 
what a more, more equivalent in my mind would you ask to see the nuclear football and make sure all the buttons work not make sure the buttons work no 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 i would not <laughs> so, i would not start yeah. making the make sure the buttons work uh, that is a thing i would not do <laughs> Uh, I would, I would, I would want to see it. I'd want to put eyes on it though. I'd make sure I, I saw the nuclear football for sure. So, it, she says, "I need Julia. Julia, I need your signature." This is Sandy. She says, "I need your signature." She explains this for the arrangements for John's funeral. I'll handle it. You just sign here. Juliet says, "Hey, should I uh, read it through?" And Sandy says, "You ever made arrangements for a ceremonial burial?" No. And she says, "Then that's your answer." How about this, Juliet? Just a little, just a little unsolicited management advice from. Two of your biggest fans, Lee and Spencer. Mm. How about you say this? The opposite. How about you say it's the opposite? How about you say, no, I've never done that before, and I'd like to learn. Could you tell me how you did it? How about yeah. that? A little humility from your boss saying, you know what? I can learn from you, too, goes a long way. Also show that you're invested in the position. Yeah. That, you know, Show that you're willing to put in some effort to learn how the various elements of the position work rather than just brushing them aside as if you don't care. If you're managing people and you want to see them brighten up, just tell them, I don't know. I don't know this thing that, you know, especially if it's something they know, like if they're like, they specialize really well. I don't know this thing, you know, can, can you help me with it? They'll brighten up. Yeah. Now you can't say, again, can't say that every fucking time. Cause then they think you're a moron, <laughs> but if you say it every once in a while, yeah, I think it goes a long way. And, and she emits here. She doesn't know how to do this. Right. I don't know. I mean, um, it's low hanging fruit too. It's low hanging fruit here too because obviously she doesn't know how to do this. No, obviously she doesn't. It's it's open in the room that she doesn't know how to do this. So she missed it by her actions. Say, hey, You're losing me, nothing. Yeah, tell me what you did. Explain it to me. So mm. says, is Marnes in? The answer is no. Judicial says they don't have a file on the they don't have a Wilkins file. How about that, Spencer? Judicial has sent word to the new sheriff they do not have a Wilkins file. <sighs> This seems like an unforced error on Judicial's part. It's like, you know, she's going to be asking for a Wilkins file. You should know whether there's a Wilkins file. You presumably know enough about her to know that the Wilkins file is going to be a big deal to her. If if you don't have a Wilkins file as a result of what something that the prior sheriff did, which, you know, we find out, I think, later, maybe explain that or send somebody to explain it to some degree. Don't just give her further reason not to trust you. I didn't believe for one single solitary second that judicial did not have a fucking George Wilkins file. Not, yes. not for one second. Did it, I believe that? I think from the very first second I heard that line, I thought they are not giving it to her. They are withholding yeah, it from her for some reason. Certainly what she thought too. I think we have some evidence later that Holston may have actually misappropriated it to a certain degree or just never allowed one to be effectively created. So there may actually be an explanation for it. But in the moment we're straight with Juliet her immediate response to that, and you can almost see it in her eyes, is, well, that's obvious, suspicious bullshit. That's obviously bullshit. Exactly. Yeah, that's exactly what she says. Um, or that's exactly what she thinks, right? Yes. Um, so she says, Holston did leave a file for you, though. Not for you, but for whoever got the job. Ugh, little, the little digs constantly. Mm -hmm. So Juliet grabs it. She hears the radio. She's looking through the file. Mids to central. That's what we hear. Mids to central. She sees the note. Double the flowers in front of the mirror. This is the note that we saw that uh, Holston had uh, in a previous episode. I think it was episode one, maybe. Mm -hmm. The assistant comes in the door. Sandy comes in the door abruptly. Did you not hear the radio? Juliet, yeah, I figured you could handle that. <laughs> I don't even think I need like I, I don't think I... I don't need to provide any help there. I think everybody knows exactly how stupid that was. She says, yes. uh, look, it's Marnes. 
Cut to Martin's punching people. You tell me, where did you get the poison, Frankie? Oh, Lord. Oh, I don't like that, to see this. But, but we like Barnes. I, I find Barnes a very Barnes. interesting and sympathetic character. Martin, sorry. Uh, very interesting and sympathetic character. This is, I think, his lowest moment that we that, that we get to see. I think that is a very fair statement. It is not, it is not it, great for him. In public, brutalizing a suspect with children watching. And even that one seems to give him pause here in a second. And he's drunk. He's clearly drunk. Yes. In comes Juliet, and she puts herself right. And it's middle of the day, because Juliet says the kids are at lunch. In comes Juliet. How, she puts herself. I'll take, how long has this? He's even punching this guy. There, you have to walk. There's no elevator. It's in the midst. Been punching him for a while, but I'll tell you this about Juliet: is uh, she seems to not have any problem putting herself immediately right in the middle of Marnes and the guy, which I think is a good sign for a new sheriff that she's immediately putting her body on the line, especially. As a signal to the other deputies, we're covering extensively. She's not doing a great job with the assistant, the office mm. assistant. But other deputies watching this, what? seeing her put herself right in the middle of that, probably a good sign. I think this is more playing into her actual experience in a way that she can demonstrate that she has knowledge and is useful. That she's probably had to insert herself in no small amount of scuffles like this in the past. And she is of unquestionable personal bravery. So, opportunity to demonstrate it, it's a good look. She's, hey, 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 you've got everybody freaked out. There are kids watching. Martins looks around, sees the kid. He says, you should be in school. She's like, it's lunch. <laughs> she asks him if he's okay. He says, yeah, I am. So she takes him to the cafeteria for coffee, which is a very good idea. Uh, he seems, uh, yep. I, would, I wouldn't have left Frankie alone there. It's like, well, do we know what she did? Because she, she came with a deputy. We don't see, and I do sincerely hope that something was done with Frankie. Either send him to medical, bring him in for questioning to some degree. That just can't be left on the street. Oh, yeah. You and I agree. I think I, I had assumed that the deputy that was with her was I taking hope. care of that. But you're, it's, a fair, I hope so. it's a fair point. Something needed to happen with Frankie, for sure. Mm-hmm. So anyway, they're drinking coffee, and she says, I think there's another way for you to try and find out what happened to johns and he says i've worn the badge for over 30 years you've been sheriff half a day there's not a thing you can tell me about how to do this job which get the sentiment uh any any time any time you're in the position of telling another human being there's not a thing you can teach me you're usually on the wrong side you're usually on the wrong side whenever you take that it's like, what I'm really saying here is not that I know how to do your job. It's that you're on tilt and we both need to understand that right now. Yeah, it's like you you may have 99% of the knowledge about this particular thing, but to, to, to shut yourself off from learning anything from someone is not, not great. Yeah, apparently in this moment, you don't have perspective on yourself. So let's start right there. Yeah, he's not at 99, that's for sure, because look what he just did. She says she didn't ask for the badge. She said, why did you change your mind? I didn't know Holston as well as you did. That's the understatement of the century. That's pretty funny. Uh, this is the part where I'm talking about where Holston, or Marnes did make me laugh a good bit. Like that, that line there was pretty funny. That's the understatement of the century. She keeps on. I figured if he wanted me to have it, I should take it. That's bullshit. What did you do to him down there? What did you say to him? She's confused by this. What did you say to him? He says it again. What did you say to him? She just exhales and changes the subject. The guy you beat up, Frankie, what's his story? Marnes explains that a year ago, Frankie poisoned two levels with bad booze. She says bad booze isn't rat poison. Hey, it's poison. Am I the only one here who gives a fuck about finding out the truth? She says, no, you're not. I have a question. Well, why did the guy who poisoned two levels of people with bad alcohol, why is he walking around the streets? I'm so confused by this. 
I have enough questions about why Juliet's not in prison for stealing tape in a way that, you know, Bernard called her out well, on. Well, because Juliet's like, fucking awesome and everybody recognized that she's the hero that we all need. Oh, sure. Yeah, clearly that's always been the case in terms of broader perspective within the asylum. Cool. So, yeah, yeah, that, glad we that was already confusing that. enough. Guy who poisoned two levels with, you know, rot gut moonshine or, you know, just How bathtub blinding gin. How the fuck is he gym? not somewhere? That, that guy's cleaning. In any world, that guy's going out to clean. It's like... I'm I'm I am baffled by what technicality that guy apparently was able to get away with that crime. Particularly also a year ago. It's like even if you're just like putting him in prison or some degree of punishment, he's just wandering the street less than a year later. Because he he likely got this from the file from judicial. Yeah. So judicial has investigated yeah. this, has figured out that the guy did it, concluded it enough to put it on this piece of paper. And it's like, but they didn't prosecute? I, I was also thinking that Marnes was the one, because Marnes asked for records of like people that he put away or had any connection with. Marnes may have been one of the guys that put this guy in prison, or at least you know brought him up on charges to some degree. How is this guy just wandering? So she says this. You want to know what I said to Holston? He leans in. He does. She says, I said he should listen to his wife, because if he had, maybe she'd be alive right now. That's the point you want to start with, Julian? Yeah, yeah, that's exactly what. And it worked perfectly because it, that, that, established Shocks some, that established some credibility where he's like, you it's, did what? It sobers him real fast, too. Yep. And she says, I told him someone had been murdered. I proved it to him. No, it was a possibility. He said he'd have to tell judicial it was an accident. He said he'd have to tell judicial it was an accident. That's, mm-hmm. that's telling you a lot about the relationship between the sheriff's department and judicial. He yeah. said he was going to send a sign if he found anything. So I waited. Next time I see Sheriff Holston's with the rest of the silo and he goes out to clean. Then the mayor gives me this. She hands over the badge, which has the words truth on the back, engraved by hand clearly. Barnes just looks at it, then turns around and says, you think that's the sign? She says, I don't know. Yes, yes. No, no yeah, yeah, yes, yes, that is the sign. That is the sign. That is the sign. Well, I, so it is. But I think that she's, do, she's doing the thing that I suggested she do earlier. 100%. She's trying to get him involved with, we're in this together, trying to figure this out. So when she says, I don't know, and then he's now starting to piece things together, and he's, he's starting to follow line things. of, yeah, exactly, following his line of logic. Well, I, I was more calling out Marnes, like, feeling the need to ask the question. But oh, yeah, it's <laughs> a fair point. Yeah, but he is loaded at, like, 11 a.m. I'm willing to write it <laughs> off as that. It's like... Yes, Martins. Yes, that is the sign. And that's why you want the George Wilkins file. Sandy told me, boy, she really doesn't like you. Juliet scoffs that Sandy isn't subtle about it. He then cuts to it. Ask her what she wants from him. She says she wants help finding out what happened to George. In exchange, she'll help him figure out what happened to the mayor. He just looks at her. I think she's making some headway here. I, I, I think she's making headway. I wouldn't have quid pro quoed what is your fucking job. In terms of, like, looking into also another murder that happened as if it is, you know, I'm giving you a tit for tat with respect to this. I don't think that's what But I understand the sentiment. I don't think, yeah, I think that what, okay, fair point. But I think it's explicit enough between the two of these that they both know what she's saying is, Mm. I will follow. This is off the booksy kind of thing we're doing. Exactly. I'll follow every lead, not in my official capacity. We will go down every rabbit hole. If we have to beat up more Frankies, we'll do it. That sort of mm-hmm. that sort of commitment, not the 
well, I'll have people and my deputies look into it type of deal. Right. I'm I'm inviting you to be my Robin while I go be Batman in the dark. Yeah. I don't know. I think she's trying, and it seems to work, she's trying to establish some shared goals here with Marnes. Sure. And that is a smart thing to do with him initially because Marnes is not, she could say, she could drop the most brilliant piece of policing knowledge on Marnes that he hasn't thought of in 30 years. She could drop it on that table and he would scoff and laugh at her. He is not going to respect her intellect or her ability to do job. But if they're working toward the same goal, maybe they can start to work together. And by the way, these are both like fucking pit vipers. Like these are both two people who like are ready to fucking bite the hand that feeds them in a heartbeat. They should get along. They got a lot in common. Juliet, Juliet is default that way in a way that Marnes is more just presently that way. I, I don't know. He makes a comment about how he's made a lot of enemies and stuff in the silo. Like I feel like they're they're they probably have some similarities that they could they could commiserate about. Uh, so I'm, I'm straight there with you though. The, be, the best thing she could say is what she kind of says here is that I believe you and how can I help? And that's what they're running with. Cuts both of them walking. He still doesn't look too good, but they knock on a door. She looks at him and asks, do you have to stand that far back? He says, well, if I did the last time, I'd be weird at eye patch. So she steps back. Good um, call. And then we hear this. The fuck are you doing here, Marnes? It's someone who's walked up behind them toward the door. He starts with the sh- he starts with the sheriff and I, and he asks bluntly who that is. That's right. A new sheriff, because your old pal is outside cuddled up with his lady. Whoa. Whoa. This guy's not here to make friends Ladies right now. and gentlemen. And Marnes is just, you can see he's like just holding it in mm-hmm. through gritted teeth. But Juliet and the man. Makes is, an effort. Yeah. And, and man, isn't this a strange role for her? Plays peacekeeper. Says, hey, Patrick Kennedy. This is the guy's name. We are here to talk to your wife. He laughs. Marnes questions the laughter. Go ahead, knock. It'll be interesting. Why, Spencer? She's been dead for a year. Mm. Judicial's not been updating the records that much, it seems. Yeah, it's pretty tough. And he says, surprised you didn't come to the funeral scene as you you framing her as the reason that she's in the soil. Now, that's an interesting question to me about their judicial system because did his wife have to go out? Because It may just be an expression. well, Well, no, I mean, yeah, it could be, right? But, like, what I'm saying is that, like, he's saying you framed her for a crime. So, presumably, she was suspected of or convicted of a crime and now she's dead he's connecting those two dots my question is is there a way that they kill people that's not sending them outside it she could have died just on what pun on what the punishment was she could have died in prison she could have died doing hard labor she could have um what was it sent down to the mines kind of thing and she passed there there's other ways of explaining this beyond that she was sent out the clings what we've heard previously well Obviously, she wasn't sent out to clean. Because we know that people hadn't been sent out to clean for a long time before Allison. But either she died in the middle of the punishment or the effect of the punishment wrecked her health or her psyche or whatever else that she died as a result. I think that's an important thing to point out is that they are they are they are giving punishment out that not just going out to clean other types of punishment are maybe killing people, too. Uh, Martin snaps and says, Hey Patrick, we all knew she was headed for the farm. The minute she, she met you Eh." and you notice in the background, Juliet says, Hey, (laughs) we're not helping things right here, right now. Patrick punch punches him, cut to Juliet, putting some ice on Martin's face. And I don't, I would say she did not do that gently. Mm -mm. She just sort of slaps an ice bag on his face and says, I'm gonna have to follow up on this Patrick. 
Do we like, know exactly what he was going to check on the Kennedy household for, other than that that was another crime on his list that he was following up on? I assumed that it was just another poisoner. That the yeah yeah. In in his broad definition of poisoner that he's operating under right now. Right. So he he says I'm going to follow up on Patrick. She says, "Is that because he broke your nose? No, because of robbery." There you go. Here it is. No, because of robbery and extortion in a past jam with judicial over relics. She thinks on that. Says you ever, you ever see a hard drive at Holston State? So she doesn't care about Patrick Kennedy anymore. What it, it seems, it's it, if we don't know what, the, what he was looking specifically for the wife. So we and he does not say what she was accused of or what she was convicted of or anything else with respect to that. But if it's similar to Patrick Kennedy, which may be fair, then he's purely just looking into people that would have a grudge against him. Yeah, I think that's a fair. Yeah, because he yeah because he's he's assumed and nobody has challenged him on this and I probably would if I could find a moment where I felt like he wouldn't punch me in the face. Um, <laughs> he assumes that that person was also trying to kill him or he was the primary target. The mayor wasn't and even she, a target at all. She was just incidental. Sure. He then mutters, uh, "Are you looking for some kind of sign?" Uh, so she she ignores that and she says, "You ever see a hard drive in Holston Safer's apartment?" And he kind of just. It, he gives like a throwaway answer, like check recycling. She's like, yeah, you, you look, he says, you looking for some kind of sign of Holston's on this drive that'll lead you to the truth about George Wilkins. And what if you don't find it? She says she has to try. He sort of laughed. He gives a knowing laugh at that and says the truth and trying mattered to Allison too and mattered to Holston. And you might want to think about that. Does that get through? Does that get through to some degree? I'll repeat it. Knowing uh, the truth and trying matters to Allison too. It mattered to Holston, and you might want to think about that. Tough, That's powerful line. Tough. Yeah, uh, she says, "Hey, with John's now. Uh, hey, with John's, how do you know you were the target?" Here we go. She did actually question this. Forty years as mayor, and what? She didn't piss off one person. And then he, he again, he's not willing to really entertain it. He says, "Not as many as me." He says, listen, down in Mechanical, she, this, she, this is her talking to him now. She says, down in Mechanical, someone always has a theory about why a machine breaks. I deal in facts. Uh, that, this is why we're Team Juliet, me and you, both of us. Because she mm-hmm. says, look, the facts, when you're saying, when you're saying that, the, that you were the target, not the mayor, that's a theory you're working on. That doesn't necessarily line up with the facts that we have in this moment. And he tries to say, well, this isn't Mechanical, right? And... She's not a machine. She was a person like no other. Which is utterly irrelevant to what discussion they have or what should be the proper basis for them investigating this crime, but he's too close to it. Yes, and it also tells me that Juliet's making sense. Given that that's his defense, yes, because it's in no way actually responding to the argument that she's presenting. And her argument's good. She's, She's looking at this from a mathematician perspective. Okay, here's the data. Here's the information. Put that, let's put that through an equation. What's the result that we get? perfectly po- she was poisoned and that does not seem and it, she's the one that's dead shouldn't we be looking at it from that angle too yeah Martin, it, this is exactly what i would have been doing a minute into this because it's very hard for me to believe that a second in but command the, in the sheriff's office was who was the target not the fucking most powerful political figure what? in the silo and the biggest flaw in this, too, is that he specifically says when he's yelling at um, Bernard, it's like, you would know if you walk the salad that you drink out of the other person's thermos. It's like, okay, well, presumably everyone else would know that, too, when they were poisoning you, and she's the one that got poisoned. Regardless of the fact you want to say that you didn't because hers was leaking, 
why would they then poison hers if they knew explicitly which one she, what you and she, her were going to be drinking out of? You just got, you just got, this is our audience just got a little teeny window into sitting across that deposition table with Spencer. You do not want to be in that position, folks. You see that logic? <laughs> that was, that was casual too. He didn't even prepare for that. Uh, yeah, you're exactly right. Uh, I think that would probably blow him back that type of nuanced argument. Right. Um, so he gets up and pours himself a drink in that moment. She sees the sketch he made of the mayor on his wall. He's hung it up at this point. And I now, now she gets it. There's this knowing look from Juliet where she goes, Oh, Oh, okay. Right. Um, how about that deal? You help me and I'll help you. Then I can head back to mechanical and you can get someone else to do this job while you live the rest of your life in peace. Want to think about it? In the meantime, try not to kick down any more doors. He just says, yeah, all right. She asked if she could get a deputy. She's getting better. Oh, yeah. She's getting better. Let's give her credit. Of course she is. You know why? Because she's good. She's the fucking future the silo needs. She asked if she should get a deputy outside. <laughs> she, she is the future the silo needs, and she's setting forth an end period for her occupying this role. She, uh, yeah, but, you know, do we believe that? Uh, she mm. asked if she, this is one term. This is the, every president who's ever said they're going to run for just one term. This is what it is. She asked if she should get a deputy outside. You pissed uh, off a lot of people today, Marnes. <laughs> He's like, should I have somebody outside? Because you've, uh, you've pissed some people off. He says, I got a shotgun. And she goes, you know, there's some things shotgun is the best solution for. He says, I'll be fine. So she walks out. You see an image of Marnes over the sink. Still clearly morning. Cut to young Juliet walking up. And she packs some things, waking up. And she, she packs some things, including her brother's toy. But then she takes that back out of her bag and puts it back down on the bed. So she actually does not pack the toy. And we see her descending the stairs. She passes her level and just keeps going. And we hear Martha's voice. Dear Miss Walker, I'm writing you to introduce you to my daughter, Juliet Nichols. Juliet Nichols. What kind of name is Juliet? We cut back to Martha, who is reading this letter that Juliet has given her and then also offering her commentary as she goes along. Young Juliet says it's from a play. Ah, I think I might know where that play is. Heard of that one. Mm. Um, I would, this is something I love that like when fantasy and sci-fi do, when they just work in that like, oh, our history was a history in this world you know, a millennia before or something. Wheel of Time does the same thing. It's pretty cool. It's just, I'd like her to shadow and mechanical sign Dr. Peter Nichols. She says that her dad, Martha says, um, she says that's her dad. Martha says she figured. She asked why she didn't want to, her to shadow. Why didn't you want to shadow your father? Which is a good question, right? Because like doctor's a pretty prestigious position in this community. And she says, well, the sight of blood makes me queasy, which is just weak. That's just a very weak, weak answer yes, to that is. question. She says, plenty of blood down here. Juliet just looks at her and says, you repeated, you, um, uh, you, uh, yeah, you repeat to Hannah Nichols, right? So, um, she, so she was basically saying like, she knew Juliet's mother, Hannah Nichols is what she's saying here. So Martha knew Juliet's mother. Martha says they don't do, they don't get many visitors from where she's from. Cause we know that Juliet's from the mids, right? Cause her dad's a doctor. Um, Especially not many with notes from Dr. Daddies. She says, what good are you to us? Uh, she says, she can fix things. I say, toy shop kid, that's all you got. I think I'll have to send you back. Juliet, jigs her, Juliet digs her heels in and says, I'm not going back. Oh. Well, listen to me, little fixer. This isn't the place for you down here. Mistakes cost lives. While you learn on the job, you put lives in danger. She asks, how'd they learn? 
Martha says, they were born into it. And Juliet, Juliet yells, so was I. And she goes, well, okay, you are your mother's daughter after all. So that gives an indication that Martha knew Hannah Nichols pretty well before Hannah Nichols passed at some point, right? Which is surprising. I mean, it does not seem, it, like, even like the mayor was friends with Martha back in the day, but they the two of them hadn't, hadn't talked for years, despite the fact that they were apparently close friends. There was a, not only just a physical, there was a cultural separation going on at play between the top and the bottom. The fact that she knows enough about Hannah Nichols to offer commentary on her character is notable in a way that is not presently explained. I think that we're getting enough evidence between the mayor knowing Martha and then Martha also knowing Hannah Nichols that there is mobility in this society. It's not everybody, like not everybody born in the down deep is going to move up to the mids, right? But there is some of that going on because Martha clearly has been in the down deep the whole time. So she met the mayor and Hannah Nichols in the down deep. So there's a little bit of ability to transfer between levels going on here that we're getting some evidence of. Anyway, she calls in Knox. Knox, Young Knox comes in. I do believe this is another actor, too. They didn't de-age Knox for this. This is just a different actor for Young Knox. Uh, Which, you know, this fits into a lot of what we assumed previously. The two of them have been joined at the hip for how long do we think? Since she was 13, I think that she's being portrayed as something around 28, maybe. It's 15 years. So. Substantial period of time. Um, Cut to Juliet working on the scavenge team. That's where she's been assigned, the scavenge team. Young Shirley is giving her the lay of the land. It includes finding things that are being dumped as trash and fixing them. Juliet asks, who'd want that job? She says, well, no one. They're criminals. (laughs) So the other people doing the job are criminals who have been, you know, assigned the hard labor that we referenced earlier. We were having the conversation about that guy's wife, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Juliet asks what they did, and Shirley jokes that they killed a dozen people, she'll ask. They stole something or something, whatever the hell it is, right? But stuff stuff falls, they drag it, we sort it, fix what we can in the next room. She says the stuff... 90% according to their marketing. Yeah, she says the stuff they don't use is incinerated. Primo parts go to Walker. That's Martha Walker, the lady we just met before. Know know pretty well now. Find something... Um, you find something on it, take it to her directly, right? Uh, find something that's valuable, you take it, fake, take it to Martha directly. Um, she never leaves her shop ever. So this is, let's, let's assume 15 years ago, Martha was not leaving her shop at that point and had not left her shop in long enough that people knew about it. So this lady's been a shut-in for a long time. Cut to someone saying, it's about time someone from the down deep shows up. She says it gives other folks from the bottom hope. This is a woman at the recycling center who is talking to modern-day Juliet who was in the sheriff's uniform. I wondered if this was going to come up. I wondered if there was going to be like a little bit of like, you know, sort of like uh, class love of Juliet. Like one of us made it. She's our representative. I'm glad we got that little line there about that because I felt like that was, that's probably a dynamic that is existing in the silo when they hear someone from like as down deep as it gets, literally working on the generator on the bottom floor has been promoted all the way up to sheriff. Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of maintaining a healthy culture you would hope that that would be something that would not be as foreign as apparently is but they're not this doesn't seem a society too big on healthy class relations what can I do for you Juliet says she's looking for someone that might have come from the clean uh, clean out of something that might have come from the clean out of Holston's apartment she says it was a lot of tears that day the lady who dealt with Holston's stuff she asked about the hard drive and about 10 sheets of paper with handwriting. She says she doesn't remember anything like that. And that much paper 
and I would have remembered it. So again, we're just continuing to learn about the lore, about this society. As we suspected, paper is very valuable to the point that, you know, she's talking about a hard drive and she, well, I could have found a hard drive, could have not, but I would remember 10 sheets of paper, something that valuable, right? We, we discussed and seen that before, that the paper is not a resource you can replicate really in this society, particularly like, you know, wood pulp-based paper to the degree that even still exists in this particular world. Yeah, because it so, has to be at minimum 140 years old, at minimum. Which, a lot of paper doesn't last that long unless you actually take, make an effort to maintain it kind of thing, particularly people are using it, so... I have to believe the paper is actually made of some different material that they're harvesting in, in this underground world. But even then, paper is a luxury that people don't have to just throw aside. Juliet says she wants to know if it comes up, uh, you know, if, if you find a hard drive or something. Hey, question for you about the silo. Do you think that there's any smoking going on in the silo? I would hope not. Well, yeah. I mean, like, because that would be a thing, I would think, in that closed environment that you wouldn't even... You wouldn't even farm it, right? You would just wouldn't authorize anybody to grow it. I'm surprised enough that people are able to get away with making moonshine. You think that would be illegal, an illegal waste of resources, much less what it would take to take it, to just make narcotics that have very little in the way of basically no medicinal value or any other practical value other than for the sake of getting a buzz. So I was thinking just that the air quality would suffer so much if people were smoking in, in a closed container. I think when you have a society where you are just keeping people alive basically that's what this is this isn't necessarily living there's no art there's no commerce to speak of there's no like people don't have a lot of hobbies they're just keeping people alive hey we saw we saw a wonderful theater presentation a few episodes back on the sub on the subject of the rebellion which was nothing but propaganda from the government but local theater is alive and well. People don't even remember Romeo and Juliet. I mean, like this is this is a society of keeping people alive. And usually, when we see those, they don't mind people drinking. That's fine. I, Drink away. If, like, like let's let's have everybody numb. That's okay. They don't ask questions when they're numb. If we if we can't remember all of the various you know um, folios of Shakespeare, I'm okay with Romeo and Juliet being left on the cutting room floor. There's better Shakespeare out there. Okay, I mean. That's a that's such a hipster take. It's it's painful to hear. <laughs> I'm here for it. It's so painful. All right, all right. You get to save three Shakespeare plays. Only three. Go. I, I, I'm 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 gonna pick my just pick my favorite. Just might might say something in that regard. Macbeth has always been my favorite. I don't feel like that's too of like a deep cut kind of one anyway. It's just one I actually enjoy. I thought Romeo and Juliet. A, I think it's forced on kids too young anyway, just in terms of the required the, the, the required curriculum. But B, I also just don't find it as entertaining as I do some of his other works. I enjoy his histories. Julius Caesar is a great history, that one that I quite enjoy. A guy and from inter- Florida is questioning when children should be exposed to particular classics and literature. Man, I'm telling you, I'm shocked, I'm stunned, I'm blown I, I, back here. I do think that you can better target certain works for certain ages in a way that they will appreciate more. Spencer's the, Scarlet Le- the Scarlet Letter is a crime against humanity at the age they inflicted upon children. Not because of its content, just because it is not that great and also really damn old. It's a crime because it's because it's painful to read. That's what you're saying. That children shouldn't because, have to deal with it because it's painful. Because if, to read. The, if you had, if you had them if you had them read it four or five years later, they'd actually be able to appreciate it in a way you're otherwise just making them resent and resent all the literature that's associated with it. 
It's mm -hmm. more of an effectiveness on the child at a certain given age rather than any issue with respect to the content you're presenting at that age. Maybe I still don't understand the Scarlet Letter because I felt like I got it back then. I felt like I kind of got it. I, is, I there, is, it, okay. is it really about I, Martians I, I, or lizard people or something? Did no, I miss the whole boat on Scarlet it, Letter? No, no. I was actually with you. I'm with you in that regard. I, 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 I appreciated it well enough. I felt like I was the only person in my class that actually made the effort to read it. All the rest of them, they just their eyes just immediately glazed over it trying to get through it. Uh, well, that was like my entire fucking all the way till senior year, probably. Yeah. And yeah, that was, yeah, that was pretty common. Uh, so cut to more shots of the silo and Juliet's walking around. She sees a young baby and she smiles at it. Cut to young Juliet. It's Martha and her dad. Juliet comes in. When you forge a letter, you should check the spelling. Mechanical has an H in it. So this is uh, mm. our, our friend Martha has called out immediately that this was a this is a forged letter, right? And she's called the dad down to the down deep who has come. I don't know how he possibly got a day off to do this, but he did. Um, morning after you arrive, I sent a porter to your dad to tell him you were down here. So he wouldn't spend the rest of his life wondering if you'd fallen down the trash chute. Nice thing. To, nice thing to do. Thank you, Martha. She says she's not going. This is Julia. I'm not going back up. Martha gets serious with her and says, you don't get to decide those things. Not at 13. Notice how the dad didn't jump in to say that he seems flat footed, doesn't really know how to talk to his daughter. And Martha's able to immediately jump in and, and say something that Juliet needs to hear. Now, the result of this conversation might be that Juliet stays. It looks like it is. But she doesn't get to unilaterally decide that at 13. And that is a fair point to make to that young girl. Like, shout yeah. out, Martha. It is. Juliet's response, though, in trying to assert that is very much the Juliet we know at any age. Yeah, that we, we know and like. We know and like. Uh, I, I will say that we know. <laughs> Start work. This is Juliet explaining what her life's like down there. I think she's been working there for, what, like a week or something? Uh, an extended period of time by which she has mastered all of the skills that have been required of her. I start work before the lights before the light cycle, or as she's talking about today. She says I start I started work before the light cycle today. I eat lunch standing up if I'm lucky to get a half hour break. Every night I'm exhausted. I fall asleep before my head hits the cot. The dad just asked this: Are you happy, Juliet? I'm happy. I don't have to have to think about mom or dad or me. Juliet just kind of looks down. The answer to that is yes. And he says, yeah, you shouldn't have to. Martha says, mechanical doesn't need anybody looking for an escape. Shout out to her for the integrity of the mechanical department. This isn't just like a run away from your problems, fucking gang, uh, like the, the sand lot, you know, like we just collection of ragtag people here. We need, we need experts down here. It's an important job. Mechanical needs workers, people committed to ensuring the lives of others. She says that everybody in the silo relies on them, which is true. We've seen that. She says that if Juliet can't commit to that, well, you're going to have to get out of here. I don't know where you're going. I don't know where you're going, but it ain't here. You don't have to go home, but you can't stay here. She says, but I am. You are what needed here. I'm good at this. She only spits that out angrily. Her dad, Martha Shearer, look, and her dad just shakes his head. Yes. And she goes, okay, all right. From now on, you shadow Knox. Yes, ma'am. And there you go. That's when she started shadowing Knox at age 13. Uh, two, two questions from the scene. I'm curious to hear your thoughts on one. Has Martha ever actually literally been the head of mechanical? She isn't in the present, Knox is. But is she here, or has she always had this kind of the real person behind the throne? I, I don't get the impression she's ever actually been the head of it. And I think it's part of her... her um, what is the, what is the, what is the, uh, the, the medical phrase um, when the people... Uh, arachnophobic... Agoraphobia? Agoraphobia. Yeah, her agoraphobia is... Star Iraq is... That's uh, spiders. 
Yes. Yeah. How about that? Or possibly uh-huh. the country, depending on how you're spelling yeah. it. Yeah. Arachnophobia. That's uh, that's definitely spiders. Yeah. Uh, agoraphobia. Her agoraphobia, I assume, has been debilitating enough that she hasn't been able to be the head of mechanical, right? Because to be the head of mechanical, you got to be able to work the generator, I would think, or oversee it at a minimum. So she can't do it from yes. her from her place, right? Even if she's the most skilled. F- follow-up question. How do we feel about the dad's parenting decision in this given moment? Because he makes a decision that means that he is no longer going to have a... Per- well, we'll ignore the follow-up. That's a follow-up's a separate element that's not discussed in this conversation. But this is a decision that means that she's not going to live with him, or he clearly is not going to at least have his direct relationship with her going forward. I think that her going to mechanical was good for her, and that sh- that, that was an okay thing to do. I have a hard time believing he did it. I'm having a hard time believe that his motivation was at least 51% altruistic and not 51% selfish. I, I don't know what the split is. It's some sort of split because he also, he doesn't want to have to deal with this, right? Like, so there's, there's some level of a relief that this is happening. I think from him, I don't know what that split is. I have a hard time believing it's, it's more than 49% uh, selfish or uh, altruistic. I, I, I mean, I lean more altruistic than selfish, but a key question is going to be, in my mind, we, I think we know from the prior scene we saw in the present that the two of them don't have any relationship. They don't, they've not even talked in seemingly years after this, maybe ever since. I don't think he's ever come back down there. That's the question I have, is that did he make any effort to maintain a relationship after this? If he didn't, then I'm, it's harder for me to maintain the view this was altruistic. If he tried and she just cut him off, then that's a different answer. We are right there together because I assume from the way he's talking, the way he's very defensive about the fact he hasn't seen her in a long time, that they have not, he has not seen her since then. And that would lend just, you are what your record is, Bill Parcell's situation. That would lend me to think, dude, you dropped her off and then you never went back to go see her. Not fucking once. Like hard for me to believe you weren't a little relieved to drop her off. Can't, can't say from the data provided, at least in the moment, I can assign it as being an altruistic decision given the questions he asks and the bearing that he represents. And I think he did make the right call in the moment to let her have this separate life. I agree. I think that was the right call, but it, the reasons behind it is, is where we're... we're Hard, harder to assess, sure. And you know what I'm glad they didn't do from a, a writing perspective? I'm glad they didn't give do the typical thing, which is he drops child off from previous marriage, dead wife, you know... And then he has another wife with new kids yes. because if he did that, if you did that from a writing perspective, you could villainize him very, very fast, but they're keeping him in this strange gray area where we don't know what to think. Well, and I like that so much better because it's putting us in the same mindset that probably that Juliet or even he have with respect to the decisions they're making. They're not sure fully in the moment why the decisions are being made or what their relationship is going to be forward or what the reasons for why the relationship is what it presently is necessarily. So we shouldn't know any better than they do, really. Got some orange taking a shotgun out of the cabinet. He then ha- <laughs> he then hangs what? a chain from the ceiling, and I think the we were all I think they, they they're playing with us a little bit. They wanted us to think that he was thinking about suicide here, but it's not. It's actually a punching bag that he's put up. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a knock at the door, and it's Marnes is like, "Who is it?" And it's he says, "It's Rob," and we hear the voice of Commons. We know it's Sims, so now we get Sims' first name, Rob. Rob Sims. And is he from the South or is his full name Robert? I'm going to assume it's Robert. Damn it. Okay. I'm going to assume it's Robert. Yeah. Any, anything's, anything South of the North Carolina line, I think you got Rob is 
in play for the perfectly full name. legitimate name. Yeah, three three letters could be full name for sure. <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't know. I think I do think it's I think it's Robert though. I think that I actually saw that in the show notes. It's Robert Sims. Just, wow, love the new look, buddy. Fuck you very much. So they have an immediate rapport and a comfort level with each other that I did not expect. This is what we talked about previously. I was already, I was caught off guard from the moment of that exchange. It's like, oh, I misjudged what relationship you two were going to have. You guys are like best college buddies. Although when you go back to that scene with the strawberry tart, Common did play that with a little bit of casual when he kind of turns to Marnes and goes, you want it? Like in a yeah. way that you might talk to a buddy. So it is, I think it's consistent. It's just this, this there is some level of a reveal here. That's a fun thing to point it out that way because he was so over the top theatrical with the mayor, like you know, in terms of presenting it. Always oh, in this grave, such a lovely gesture from the from the judge. And when she says no, he so casually just says, "Eh, buddy, you know." Yeah, it's it's yeah, it's share casual a tart for with sure. me. His tone changes too. Yeah. Um, so I got a guy, I got it from a guy named Patrick Kennedy. Remember him? Sims remembers him. He says he, he sold unfashioned relics. Sanctioned. Unsanctioned. Also probably unfashioned. I can't imagine fashion. <laughs> they were very out of date. Probably, yeah, they were probably not, 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 they, not current or they, hip. They are relics for God's sakes. I mean, they, nobody, were la- they were last year's line. You don't see people walking around with a Pez dispenser in this place. Uh, so, <laughs> but as we discussed, they should now. Whether it should have actually the Pez, the Pez candy, different question. Oh, okay. Pez candy is probably helping. Oh. Judicial's hoarding that with all the strawberries. <laughs> Sims, they can keep it. Sims, the Pez share the strawberries. Sims asks Martin's why Patrick hit him, other than the fact you kind of invite it, <laughs> which is true. It's like mm. I went to I went to visit his wife Doris. She threatened me a few times a minute. Unfortunately. He says, fortunately, I said, unfortunately there, because that's what human beings would say. But Marnes, not a human being in this moment, says, fortunately for the silo, dear darling Doris is dead. Good God. Oh, a fact this that is the man enforcing up, the law, people. A fact that didn't end up in that list you gave. Gosh, knows that was harsh. Sims takes it right in stride, though, and says, you know what they say? If uh, you're going to lose something forever, give it to data management. So he's just, this is yep. this is one of two lines of where I was not expecting Sims to be casting this much shade towards Bernard. Yeah, and he says, "I forgot how much people don't like you." <laughs> <laughs> hey, the implication there being he likes he it, does so like he forgets that thing. Yep, I think that is exactly what we're supposed to think. He says, and he even says, "Who's watching your back?" Yeah, and Marnes goes, "Are you?" volunteering and sim says i got some good news judge meadow is ready to make the new sheriff a former one. Oh boy Ooh, my, my shoulder it, was rolling i was ready to fucking go to blows i was i was upset about this this is a pretty open power play that the judge is trying to pl- try to offer right I'm putting here. Them up. i'm ready to go to i'm ready to go to war let's do it you, you, your beloved is under threat sir who is her Not defender my beloved, in this conversation but my leader the your- leader that we need in the silo it's time to have a new civil war for our new leader Oh God! Please, yes. What 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 is a community without a revolution every 140 years? Yeah, yeah. Otherwise, you're just not engaged, not paying attention. Paperwork's done. You sign along with Mayor Pencilneck, mm-hmm. and by mm-hmm. morning, yeah, little constant shots at IT. And by morning, Billings will be up top and ready to take over the job. So apparently, if the head deputy, this must be like, what is it? What is that amendment for the president? That if the president is mentally incapacitated, it's like the whatever amendment. Oh, let me double check. Yeah, I know, of course. Yes. yes. So there's a there's an amendment that if the president cannot 
mentally fulfill the duties of office yeah, or whatever else fulfill the and i think you know mentally or physically fulfill the duties of office that their cabinet and i think the whole cabinet has to sign along with the vice president that they can't do it and then the person will be removed i think this is some sort of mechanism like that where judicial is getting the mayor uh and the head deputy to sign that the sheriff cannot fulfill the obligations and i think that's a way to remove the sheriff from the from the office uh, 25th. 25th. That's right. Marin says, I figure we better hold off on that for a bit. I think Marin does not participate in this because Juliet left a good impression earlier today. I, I think, A, yes. B, also, I think he might view it as a certain degree of betrayal of the mayor because she was so opposed Something to the idea. Something about her gives me hope. They gave us that line in the opener. What that is what that definitely, but also just the element of she wanted to maintain separation of powers. She wanted to make sure the judicial just didn't get to get appoint who they wanted to be, be sheriff of the office. So as much as he's uncomfortable with this between her endorsement of Juliet and also just what she stood for in the idea of just not simply accepting their nominee, that that coupled with the good impression that she offered, Marnes has made his decision. Maybe he dies for it by the end of this episode. I can't be sure. Nichols was Holston's choice. I figure she has a right to fail on her own. He says that she screwed up fast. She'll screw up fast enough. Uh, if you just toss her back down to mechanical, she'll get them all riled up. Now that I do believe. If yes, you just that's, if that's you, fair. If you just sent her back down now, can you imagine how uh, Knox would would respond to that? I can't. And he's a leader down well there. Whatsoever. He's a leader down well, and he'll deem that a personal slight. She'll deem it a personal slight that she'll make something of. And it's the category of argument of where he starts an argument that doesn't, I don't, I don't, I don't even know if he puts that much weight in the idea that it was Holston's choice. He didn't at the time. No, he said Holston had lost his, completely lost his mind at the end. And I think Sims is a similar weight to that. But the argument he comes around to, I almost can visibly see Sims nodding to when he, when he, when he reached that argument yes. at the end about like, okay, that one's harder to assail. Yeah, I think I think it will be a real problem uh, because she, you know, and and I think we got that line. I don't think it was any uh, coincidence that we got that line from the lady at recycling who was like, "Yep, man, we got somebody from the down deep up here. That's so great." Like, think about how many people are thinking that right now, right? Like, you don't want to seem like you're mistreating her. Sims doesn't love this, but says it's your call. It's your call, Marns. But confirms Meadows want Nichols out. Uh, and Billings in. Marnes is quick to remind him that he doesn't work for Meadows. Sims gets serious on that and says, but we all work for the good of the silo. Marnes says, you're right, for the good of the silo, and they cheers, and they drink. Two friends in this moment, curious how much of it's able to survive this conversation. So they're friends, but there is a little manipulation going on back and forth between each other. There is friends, there is manipulation, and there is inter-service rivalry. You know what these two people need? What do these two people need? A double shot of Juliet quick. They need some Juliet straight talk to get all that (laughs) shit that's hanging out there in the back, all of the unsaid stuff, right on the table. Right on the table. You're making making me look now whether a Juliet is actually a drink. It probably is. (laughs) It might be, yeah. Double double shot of Juliet. Cut to Juliet walking through the cafeteria, and there is someone at the table. The same guy. Same guy. He's a little jumpy. Says he has one minute left until the cafeteria closes. She says, okay. Uh, sure, sure, sorry, sure, sure, uh, sure, uh, Lucas. And they shake hands. She introduces himself, Juliet. Like the play? They really don't perform that one anymore now, do they? Uh, some people say it was written by a rebel. 
Did I just say something mm. you could arrest me for? Again, what is this guy after here? I, you're, uh, you're interpreting her? I mean, what, what do you think? I don't know. It's an awkward, it's, an, it's a weird little Is it little so hard for nonsense? you to believe? Is it so hard for you to believe that someone might be uh, interested in our best friend, Juliet? How could I doubt it when I see such an example here before me? <laughs> I don't know what this guy's after, but he does seem like a lurker. And mm. I tend to think when a guy's lurking around a woman, eh, that's where my mind goes. Uh, Juliet seems to be in the category of there are a lot of people who name things a Juliet, and it's got all kinds of different ingredients. This doesn't seem like something that's you know entered into a lot of bartenders' guides for a drink to know how to make. It's not like it's like, like Sex on a Beach, which is like a, a real thing that has like an actual it, recipe. It, it does not appear to be there there to be like a universal example. Maybe a Romeo and Juliet. There appears to be more commonality there, but a Juliet, not so much. I don't think I would order a drink called a Romeo and Juliet. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, would you like the last drink you'll ever have? That doesn't sound very appealing. Uh, he says, <laughs> "No, what they drink in the play is not to be recommended." <laughs> no, that's a bad name for a drink. Just from a marketing perspective, he says, "Maybe I should just go back." And she says, "Wait, wait, wait, wait you." Your minute, your minute's up. Uh, and he, he walks off and he says, good night. Um, I actually have in my notes before we even cut. See, wrote this on my own, completely on my own. Spencer, is he hitting on her? What was that? I don't know. It's a weird, the fact that, again, we focused on him with his back turned, just looking out the window. She clearly wants to know what the hell he's about. He seems to be like he's sounding her out for some purpose. Like, you know, to what degree can I trust you with respect to something? But it doesn't seem like they get a full opportunity to either of them for him to say exactly what his goals are here. See, I think that Juliet, I think that it was, I think there was a lot going on with Juliet the down deep. Like, I think that Knox was protective over her. I think that Martha was protective of her. I think that she had a, a very serious reputation. And I don't think that Juliet's been hit on very much because of all of these different things. So it, well, first off, the, one, another thing to throw into that mix is her own personality being off-putting because she can be very off-putting. So she might not have a lot of experience with this. So like her clueless look, it's, it could just be the fact she, this just doesn't happen to her. If that is indeed his objective, which I'm not entirely sure of from the conversation we saw, then, yeah, she's definitely not picking up. But if it fits into what we talked about previously, sorry, I'm blanking on his name. George? was George Wilkins, for, yeah. Uh, we commented that our kind of assumption was that he may have been the fir- her first, like, you know, boyfriend. I think kind so, of yeah. And it's no, which, no mistake that, that, that would he was lean in. no mistake that he was from an upper level, right? He wasn't, yes. he wasn't among the down deep because Knox probably would have shut it off or Martha would have shut it off or she would have punched the guy at some point when he got too close to the generator or some shit yes. would have happened, right? Uh, yeah, absolutely. And also, like, we've also introduced the idea. I've hinted at it a few times. I'll say it explicitly now that we thought George might have also been exploring a potential romantic connection with Allison to see if he could manipulate her into doing what he wanted to in his rebel activities. It's hard to not then extrapolate and think, was he doing the same thing to Juliet? As we have said before, casting a fair amount of, you know, really running his character through the mud without necessarily confirmed evidence for it. But I think both you and I are kind of leaning in that direction in terms of judging him. I mean, I think he believes that the silo is being run in a, in a way that's fundamentally unjust. Well, let's- Lizard people, yeah, uh, funda- yeah, yeah, absolutely. Lizard people, Un- fundamentally unjust. So he's making personal sacrifices to try to fight the cause. I'm not saying he's a bad guy. I'm saying that like 
Juliet might have got caught up in something that is going to be a really awful revelation for her if she ever gets there. Um, uh, we, yeah. Uh, cut to Martin's continuing to drink. He's leaning on the edge of a balcony uh, off a walkway for the silo. He drank, just basically drank the whole time. And he remembers now the conversation that she had, uh, the mayor had with him the night that she died. This is the night of the the generator going down and it was where they talked about her potentially retiring and she says well i'd get a stall next to a guy who has the drawings and they kiss uh and then he sees another image of her when their great victory should be celebrated with horns your favorite one mm. your favorite one of the bunch the vuvuzelas your favorite uh she's laughing and looking at him. he remembers more and he cries some more um walk walker you there that's juliet's voice that you, mm-hmm. that you fix her. It's Martha's voice, and they start chatting. She asks how it's going. Uh, well, I might not be. Well, I might not be pulling alone. She says, "This is what Juliet says." Well, I might not be pulling alone. So progress, yeah, maybe. So you found an ally, and she says, "Perhaps." Marnes is listening to the whole thing, and I think she's talking about Marnes. Yes, and I think Marnes hears it, and I think that that's only going to endear her more to Marnes the idea that like she's she's in a new place she's talking to her friend she seems very intimidated by where she's at and she's saying i might have found a friend like how could that not endear you more to the person like i think it will 100 percent. she says I'll for know. for as long as it may be relevant <laughs> yeah well she says um uh i'll know more tomorrow she says they had some progress there but uh, there is something that might require her insight. They say goodnight. It's interesting how stilted they are on the radio. So they don't have phones. I'd like to point this out. They don't have phones in the silo or any other way to speak between levels. I mean, short of, I guess, two fucking, you know, empty soup cans with a string. Sure. They aren't used to it. Yelling really loud. They're not used to this. And they may, may, they may think others are listening. Yeah, that's true. But I also just think that this type of communication is relatively new to both of them so they're mm-hmm. a little more stilted and i think it's acted well i think i think they're also using either relics or unsanctioned technology to even make this communication right now i can't picture their the two walkie-talkies they're presently using are authorized well no i think that hers is because that's but martha's isn't that, yeah i think that's how she's that's how barnes is listening to her because they both have uh, radios with the same frequency because the sheriffs are talk because Martha mentioned that to Juliet. She goes, you get a, you get a radio when you go up. So I'll be listening to everything you say, but we know that Martha's is unsanctioned because the mayor pointed out, you've got this thing that breaks a million laws of the pact. I don't even know where to begin. Basically. Do you, do you think if you just tune in the CB radio to different frequencies, you can pick up just, you know, runners moving, moving goods down up and down, like the same way you would truckers in our real world. Yeah, maybe. Maybe. They, do you think they have like the same language? Like, over, out. I, I would adore that if that was the case. Uh, so Juliet says, I'll know more tomorrow. Uh, she says there's some progress, but there was something that might require her insight. They say goodnight. Um, cut to Martha, who's working on something. As she's working on the camcorder, she ends up turning it on. And the light goes on in the camcorder. Cut to Juliet getting home. We'll see what that is for later. Uh, that evening, and she sees that she has something on her counter. She turns the air on, and we get the rattling. Cut to a man in the dark whistling, and then he's attacked. A fight ensues. It's Marnes and someone. He goes for a shotgun, but the other guy gets to it first and ends up getting Marnes on the ground, pointing the shotgun at him. Shotgun did not fire this episode. So my interpretation of the scene is that Marnes is still alive going into the next episode. Uh, he certainly didn't die on camera. I can't picture what world he, he survives in, though. It's like 
He's obviously seen the guy's face. We send don't a message. know who the guy is. Could be, send a mes- could be a send a message guy. Maybe, uh, maybe the guy doesn't want to kill him, just wants to send a message. I'm not inclined. I'm assuming Barnes is at Barnes is at. I'm assuming this was our last episode with him. Listen. Similar to how the last one was similar similar ending for him as it was for uh, our the, our good mayor in the last episode. Okay, so the, it is very different than the ending with the mayor because the mayor was actively choking and dying. We don't we don't see like it, it would be the same if Barnes has been shot and he's like dealing with the gaping wound. Yeah. Then it would be exactly the same. It would be a weird hit. Because the mayor's at least has some element of uncertainty or even possibly plausible deniability, though it's shit plausible deniability attached to it. If he's shot with a friggin' shotgun, it's harder to say that's anything other than murder. Look, I am on season six of The Sopranos, so I think I am a real big expert in organized crime, okay? And on shooting people with shotguns. So sometimes in organized crime, you send people over to send a message. You don't want to kill them because you still have uses for them, and you also don't want to send the signal that you're completely an unreasonable organization who just kills everybody right away. You might want to be sending a message. It could be. My assumption, though, is he's toast. Cut to Juliet, who checks out what's rattling in her vent, and she remembers pulling the hard drive out with the fish, the fish hook, right? The little fish line or whatever. And she she Um, remembers doing it with Holston. She keeps pulling and pulling, and guess what she gets? Guess what it is? It's a file. It's the George Wilkins file. Stored away. Why was it stored away, Lee? Why was it hidden away? Stolen from judicial. Holston got the file and hid it in the apartment that he knew Juliet would be in. And that's where he put it. That's my prediction. I'm curious to know whether there's actually any useful information in there or just the mere fact that he hit it isn't indicative by itself. Yeah, great question. Um, I guess we'll see because she's got it now and presumably she'll start looking at it. End of episode. We're done with the recap. (laughs) Indeed, my friend. All right. You want to talk best line of the episode? Uh, Sure. I got a few options here for you if you're ready. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Er Early one. Uh, th- this is just an unnecessarily mean one, but I, it, it resonated with me just because of how awkward it was. But I was told to stock the fridge in the apartment, but I have no idea what you people eat down deep. Mm. But Julia responds, children mostly, sometimes each other. That A, it was just an awkward moment that symbolizes where their relationship currently is. B, it also, again, it just emphasized the casual racism or casual culturalism or classism that is going at play in the silo. Xenophobia? Is it xenophobia? Maybe they're sitting country, I guess. It's hard to be xenophobic because they're they're part of the same, you know, society and civilization, but there clearly is a divide between people in a way that the the up top is not willing to bridge, Mm -hmm. which doesn't typically. Yeah. Uh, Very (laughs) Spencer-esque. Thank you. I appreciate that. Um, (laughs) What back back and forth between the two Mormonts? Uh, oh, honey, I'm sorry. This is the way things are now. To which Juliet responds, "Because of you, no, Jules. I shouldn't have to do this." And Juliet, responds, "I shouldn't have to do this." To which he responds, "Neither should I." What choice do we have? But then going back and forth, Jules, honey, honey, they're gone. I can't fix it. Not everything can be fixed. Rough scene, hard scene, but. Felt very real dialogue we get in that particular moment, and a few other conversations the two characters have. Uh, let's see here. Fun conversation between Bernard and, Ju- and Jules. What's funny? Well, just that you'd be the one swearing me in when you were the one who accused me of stealing a heat tape. Miss Nichols, did you steal the tape? No, I appropriated it because we needed it. Felt like that was a very. She's right. Re- it felt like it was a revealing conversation between the two in terms of learning more about their characters. Is that. Bernard's willing to just straight up ask the question of her and then roll with it 
And she's willing, part from ego, part from actual proper necessity, to admit to a crime she feels like she's justified. Yeah. Uh, good conversation going back and forth between, again, the two Mormons. Are you happy here? I start work hours before the light cycle today. I eat lunch standing up, and if I'm lucky, I get a half-hour break. Every night, I'm exhausted. I fall asleep before my head hits the cot. Are you happy, Juliet? I'm happy. I really don't have time to think about Mom or Jacob. Or me? Yeah, you shouldn't have to. Again, rough conversation between the two, but that felt very real, and it was effectively emotional. Um, and just the entirety of the conversation, that a lot of the conversation that occurred between... Um, Common and Marnes are Sims? Sims, is that his name again? Sims, yeah. Robert Ro- Sims. Ro- Robert Sims. Robert Sims and Marnes. Uh, Sam Marnes. Uh, that it, 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 was, it was fun to see that they are buddies. It's fun to see that they've been able to maintain that despite the inherent tension between the two different branches of government. But also see that there's a new edge creeping in there as a result of judicial pushing in a way there hasn't been before, that they're both trying to advise each other about. That was an important conversation. And based on where the episode ends, I'm curious to learn more about what kind of guy Sims is and to what degree this is something that the rest of judicial wasn't fully comfortable with. It felt or wouldn't Yeah. It felt like to me, like, you know, like in um you know, I, I obviously a lot of issues with Kevin Spacey, but the first few seasons of House of Cards was really good. And uh, West Wing, like those shows that really do Washington insider politics really well. There's always that like weird episode three scene of your main character just like casually having a sandwich with some guy from the other side that they just happen to be friends with. This felt like that. It's like the little connections Mm-hmm. throughout government that make it all work because when a deal needs to be done these types of connections are what make it happen was, was it the same level of the fact that ginsburg and scalia would enjoy opera together yeah that type of thing although you know it really doesn't matter what's going on in the supreme court because they just do whatever they want to anyway yeah but they have fun with each other when they're not working right yeah and i'm sure yeah, I, who knows who paid for the tickets i mean they were probably <laughs> american yeah, public I'm sure, I'm sure they were in some shape sure or form they reported at all yeah don't worry, don't worry they didn't bring Clarence Thomas <laughs> he was on a boat somewhere oh god yeah, they, wanted Tony to invite him, but they, they wanted to invite him but he was already committed <laughs> Clarence Thomas is on Tony Soprano's boat god uh, th- that is enough nominees pick one of those or one of the ones that you like better oh gosh I am going to go with this one um you looking for some kind of sign of Holston's on this drive that'll lead you to the truth about George Wilkins and what if you don't find it she says she has to try. You know, the truth and trying mattered to Allison too. Yeah, that was a good line. And mattered to Holston. And you might want to think about that. Mm-hmm. It was a good line. It was an effective line. I, I liked it because, like, I think he's really hitting on something Juliet needs to be careful about. But I also think that, like, he would not have offered this to her if he wasn't warming to her. This was a... Yeah. He wasn't gaining anything by giving her a warning here. He was giving her real insight that to try to help her for the first time in their relationship. Question. If Marnes is dead at the start of the next episode and you're Jules, what do you do? What would you do? The mayor and your lead deputy are seemingly assassinated within a day of you taking the job. Yeah, if Barnes is dead, you know, she... She made it martial law. She made it clear that she was trying to find a friend when she was talking to Martha. 
Mm-hmm. And this seems like maybe a strategy that her and Martha talked about. And Marnes was it. And then he dies immediately. I think that she's got to, she's got to make a, she's, she's got to go and make an alliance. She probably isn't prepared to in this moment. Right? Like, so if Marnes ends up dead, I think I'd probably go to Bernard mm. and I'd say, look, it's all hell's breaking loose. I got either we're going to work together and it's going to work out or we're not. And it's all going to fall apart here because everything's going sideways. What can we do? How can I help you? Right. And we know Juliet's really good at being humble, proactive and saying things like, how can I help you, sir? Oh yeah. And also about reaching out to people (laughs) that she feels uh, slighted her or straight up falsely accused her in the past. I know, man. Uh, I don't think my jaw would survive giving her that advice. Hey, Juliet, if you could just humble yourself and go to Bernard and say, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'd be like, uh, I'd be like the guy in the, the generator. Yeah, for sure. All right. Silo citizen of the week. Let's award one. I'm curious. I, I want to hear your, you know, who doesn't win it this week. A Marnes? Marnes does not win it. He was drunk the whole time and broke a whole bunch of laws. Do I mean, do we want to give it to Juliet for just, you know, starting out rough with respect to the position, but actually by the end of the episode, demonstrating some of the qualities that would be necessary to do this job and do it well. Uh, You and I are the world's biggest Juliet fans. I cannot give it to Juliet because of how poorly she handles Sandy, the office assistant, who is a human being with feelings. That was so poorly handled that she, I think you have to move her out of contention. It marks her down too much. Maybe Bernard then, in terms of just like, you know, the moving, the moving works of government. He's doing the necessary actions and providing the cold hard advice that is perfectly justifiable as a basis to keep the society running. I think between this pick and what I've been doing over on the Magnum Talk Star Wars uh, podcast, which is telling you that Thrawn would be a better ruler, you're going to start questioning your friendship with me. But what about Sims? I... I feel like he Sim- has a really good episode and he's reasonable most of it. He's, he, I, don't, I don't think this is leaning that hard to dictatorship at present. I would have said that maybe an episode ago, but now that we're seeing more of Sims the character, this guy has, you know, complexity. This guy has different workings inside him beyond just simply being a loyal judicial enforcer. I'm willing to vet it. He's, he, he is trying to do his job. He's trying to help a friend, and he's trying to balance those out. That's not an easy road to walk. All right, uh, I think we. I, I think Sims can be my pick here. Um, who who are, who would you award in a in a silo? <laughs> who would you award? I, I'm, I, I'm actually was, I was going to offer now my dark horse, um, but I feel like it's justified from what we see of her loyalty, of her dedication, and how she's been making things work. But I think Martha deserves more credit than we've been given her previously. Shout out to Martha. I like that. Actually, can I switch my pick? I want to switch it to Martha. No, you're stuck. You're actually fully committed now with your, dis- with your despotic me, option. Me and Judicial and Thrawn and, <laughs> <laughs> and Palpatine and all my friends. It's like, I offered Bernard and you went, no, 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 not despotic enough. No, no, no. Let's I need to actually go full else. Judicial. Yeah, for sure. No, Martha's a great pick i agree she's uh because of the strength of her actions during that flashback scene too like how she handled that situation was really well done i feel like so shout out to her yeah martha gets it silo citizen of the week all right theory time you got any theories for me uh i think we already expressed that there is a profound amount of assumption going into who the target was of this assassination that jules kind of starts to approach calling out but doesn't necessarily focus on time to focus on the key details of but martin's is unwilling to acknowledge the possibility that he wasn't actually the target that the intended target did actually you know get hit was the mayor um and i can only hope that he lives long enough to actually you know entertain that more than he has already so you think Barnes is dead i think Barnes is dead 
I don't see how he gets out of the situation alive. I think they're going to find him killed with a shotgun in the morning, and that's going to be all hell's worth of destabilizing. Which leans into my next question. Who the hell's the assassin? Because if this is all judicial, they're not being subtle about any of this in a way that they previously seemingly have been for generations upon generations. Fair point. Uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know, man. I don't know. It, it does not seem the judicial has at least openly been hitting people that I will, and pardon me, pardon the way I'm phrasing this, that matter, that are noticeable, that are somebody that can't just simply be overlooked or disappeared. That's not how they've been running things previously. Admittedly, you know, bringing somebody like Juliet up to the surface is something that no mayor's been willing to do previously. Having a sheriff go out has been also equally destabilizing. Maybe they're as much on tilt as anybody else is, but this, it strikes me as remarkably coarse. Um, not that we, we get to see the assassin pretty clearly, and it's not somebody I think we've ever seen before, right? Uh, yeah, I, I didn't recognize him. Uh, okay. Although it wasn't, I didn't see him super well. But no, I didn't. I didn't recognize him. I. I think the primary thing I'm going to push forward here in this theory time is. I disagree with you. <laughs> Go on. To, what about today? Period. Period. I'm done with the segment. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> no, nothing more to be expressed. <laughs> That's my theory. No, I disagree with you about the level of on tilt the silo citizens are. I recognize that you're operating on the information we're being given, right? And I, 100%. I get it. I think that the people making those assumptions about how the people are reacting to all of these events are overstating their own importance. I'm not sure that somebody who gets up in the silo on level 12 and goes and works a farm to make sure that there's tomatoes gives a shit that much that the sheriff went out. Maybe on a personal level, maybe a little like, oh, man, that sucks for him. I don't think they think that the world's about to end because the sheriff went out. I think they're continuing to get up and go to their jobs. Like, I don't think, I think that what we saw in the recycling was a few people who were arming up, who were whack jobs, but there's 10,000 fucking people in the silo. Like, and I think that that's important because if the, if, if it's not, if the silo citizenry is not seriously destabilized, then I think that a lot of the actions that they're taking to speed things up and make sure we do this because everybody's going to is all kind of misguided and, and being done uh, prematurely in a lot of cases. So that's the primary thing I want to offer here is that they're overstating their own importance. They need to slow down a little bit and make the right decisions, not the fast ones. How typical of politicians to overstate their own importance and assume the worst about those that they're supposed to be representing? It is kind of, kind of well done. And then I would also say um, that I, 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 and I, I dropped this one, in the middle of the podcast, but I'll say it here again. I don't think that Juliet has seen her father since he dropped her off. I, I will agree. From what we have seen, uh, I'm not necessarily willing to cast that blame solely on the dead yet. All right. Last question for you. Well, uh, sure. And I've got a few other, few other theories to offer that after that. Go ahead. Okay. Well, my last question for you. You have to actually answer the question as it's asked to you, which you've never done one time on any podcast we've ever done, but you have to do you it right are now. Holding out hope that's possible, a, but let's see what happens. It's a yes or no question only. Okay. Will Martha leave her apartment this season? Yes. And remember how Juliet said she would leave? Remember? Feet first. Y yes, dramatically and alive for the sake of some important cause of either resisting Juliet or the silo. Okay. Uh, on record. Uh, 
just something I noted is that when Jules is talking with Marnes, she actually says out loud that she proved to Holston that George, that, that, that uh, George was murdered. <laughs> yeah, no, you didn't. It's like, <laughs> no, you, you didn't. Jules, I know you got an ego on your shoulders, uh, but it's yeah. starting to cross a line right there. You really didn't. No, it was just a flat lie. Yeah, it's a flat lie. That's okay. Sometimes uh, she lies. It's okay. Yeah, we. <laughs> hey, who doesn't, really? Uh, Hannah Nichols, we comment on that. Her reputation is interesting. The fact that she is apparently known top and bottom among this community. You don't know a damn thing about her other than that. That's already saying something. Uh, interesting that Common doesn't seemingly like Bernard. Wasn't expressed. I'll start actually using the character's name. Sims does not seem to like Bernard. That's interesting. I wasn't kind of expecting that. Me neither. That, that, that was a little surprising. Uh, who, what the hell Lucas is about. We've already commented on that. What Martha's inquiring about, something that might require your insight. That's interesting to see that she's already reaching out about something and whether that... The implication there is that it's not purely as an engineer, that's something that's more lending into her current position that I was kind of picking up from that line. So I'd be curious to see what that's about. Uh, what the hell's on that camcorder and whether that in any way relates to what she's saying to uh, Ju- Juliet. I'm inclined to think no. I was inclined to think that camcorder was just coming on there for the first time there at the end, but who can say for sure? And the last question that I'm hopefully going to be answered fairly quickly in the next one, why Holston was sealing away records? He was already indicating he was going to have to you know, lie to judicial yeah. about what he actually found. That was a big one. So why would he then feel the need to actually store the records separately in a way, in a way that only Juliet would know to look for and find? What was the point? What is he actually hiding? What did he actually find? What did he feel the judicial could not be made aware of or exposed to or have an opportunity to silence? I'm, I have questions about the whole file process because yes. Juliet comes into her position. She asked the sheriff's office assistant for the file on George George Wilkins. That should be the sheriff's office file. However, Sandy says, though, answer she gets back is judicial says they don't have a file. Well, shouldn't judicial be keeping a separate file on George Wilkins? Because they're doing two different things, right? Because, like, one is building the evidence, uh, accumulating evidence for whatever potential crimes or whatever he's doing. The other is just, just public records, public records, a prosecution file. These are different things. Fundamentally, the departments do. So they should have different files. I don't know why Sandy immediately went to judicial instead of telling Juliet. Uh, yeah, I looked in our files and I didn't see a Wilkins. This is even assuming that the sheriff's office has an independent file rather than everything just immediately passing on to judicial if there's not an active case they're investigating or something. Yeah, very strange. All right. Anything else? No, that's all I got for this one. All right. There we go. Episode four, Silo. In the books. Anything else you want to chat about today before we wrap up the podcast? Uh, Just out of raw curiosity, what is the name of the next episode? I'm looking it up right now. Oh, yeah. So, Let's check it out. Episode... Episode 5 of The Silo Season 1 is... The the Janitor's Boy. The Janitor's Boy. All right. Well, we'll get it next week. We'll be back with you one week from today reviewing Episode 5 of The Silo. Thanks, everybody, for listening. You're enjoying this podcast. Please rate, review, subscribe. That stuff matters to us. Go to X and find us at Mangum Talks. Or you can go to Facebook.com slash Mangum Talks. Or you can go to mangumtalks.com, upper right-hand corner, click Contact Us. Three separate, distinct ways to contact us, all of which will feed directly to me. And I 
like hearing from you all who listen and like hearing what you like about the podcast, what you don't like about the podcast, what we can improve. Any other shows you'd like us to cover, any other things you'd like us to do on the podcast network, all of that feedback is very much appreciated and uh, and welcome. So please give us all that feedback. Can't wait to hear from you. Other than that, we will be back with you in one week from today to review episode four of Silo. See you then.